You know, when I found out that the patriarchy wasn't about horses anyway, I lost interest. <laughs> I feel like our quotes are kind of coming off just things that we've seen, not really branching out. Yeah. But yeah. that was that, pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, Gosling and Barbie. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Gosling and Barbie. Yeah. Should I go back to like the director quotes? I feel like that was kind of fun. Whatever. Doing that. I, 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 I enjoyed more of the guessing than the act, like hearing it again, you know, yeah. trying to rack my brain on who might have said it. The, the thing with the directors was it took, it took some work finding some crazy quotes from directors because yeah. I always wanted to find some zany shit that they would always say. Yes. Like what Lars von Trier said about uh, Nazis and how he was a Nazi or whatever oh. at that. Um, oh, yeah. I think it was at... Um, can film festival or something yeah what are we watched by lars von trier i don't know oh, is that it was ended uh last days right is no that that's the... uh that's gus van sant oh what did we hear one i don't think it's so i was just picking directors that uh, at just random yeah like i wasn't really picking ones that were directing movies that the, were right. we were talking about Lars von Trier, Gus Van Sant, three names. A lot of fans. Yeah, you know, a lot of fans. A lot of fans. Chris Farley would be happy. Yeah. Or sad, depending on the context, I guess. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to it. Maybe I won't. We'll yeah. see how it goes. Uh, I'm going to turn you down a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, no, that that I, I, I genuinely like the guessing. Uh that's cool though. I mean, that was that was a pretty that was a funny quip. Yeah. In the Barbie movie. Well, it was a very uh, it, it's a line that resonated with me quite a bit oh, <laughs> about yeah. uh, horses and the patriarchy. <laughs> um, speaking of patriarchy, yeah, fuck capitalism because Disney's doing some wacky shit. What 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 are they up to? I it was a it was a quick headline that I came across that I was like I'm gonna screenshot this and talk about it on the podcast because okay. it's making me feel a type of negative way. Uh, apparently, Disney is going to stop releasing Blu-rays and DVDs in Australia. Sure, just, just straight up. <laughs> just hey, they're not want, making enough money, so they said we're not distributing anymore. You that. want physical media? Fuck you, Aussies. Yeah, go cook your shrimp on the barbecue yeah. or whatever you do with your kangaroos and That's a, all I that. Won. I know, right? Do they just not find? I'm wondering if it's just because they don't find it profitable in that region anymore. Like I, oh, I don't 100%. know. Well, it's you got to think about the shipping costs and I mean distributing like you know just getting their content over to them. I, I I don't know. I mean I don't know if they just link it up to a modem over there and they print it off, or if there's no like you have to have a place that makes Blu-rays in Australia to reduce the shipping costs. Yeah, and plus so, there's the whole like regional thing with like the Blu-ray players and. All that they stuff. They don't do it. That, well, the, I could, I'm not sure. I don't. I'm. I, if anyone's from Australia listening, I don't mean to offend. I just have a. I find it funny to think that they're still stuck on VHS. They're probably already offended when I said <laughs> kangaroo and shrimp on the Barbie. But I mean, crocodile Dundee. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. Steve Irwin. He was. Yeah. A, he was your guys's national treasure. Not, it's, true G. Yeah. But I don't know. I wanted to bring it up because it's an interesting idea, and I feel like it's something we touched on before, maybe a little bit, but like not in a super lengthy discussion about physical media and the importance or maybe some people even perceive importance of change of going from physical to digital versus preserving physical media and making sure that things don't get lost because I'm of the viewpoint that if something is purely 
on a streaming service or just available digitally, then there's a risk of it being lost forever. All they got to do is take it away. Right. If we're done licensing it or we're not, it's not getting enough views, so we're just going to pull it. Yeah. That's why I really want a physical edition of I'm Thinking of Ending Things from Netflix because you can't get it on DVD or Blu-ray. Like you can, you can get a Netflix account and you can watch it there, but that's it. That's probably why they do it, though. If you have to think of, like, um, <clears throat> proprietary rights for something. Yeah. You know, if you want to view it, it's original content. I would have to imagine that it wouldn't go away. It would just stay on the in the library. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, like, if Disney makes a film, they put it on Disney+, Plus, right? It just stays, and they don't ever have to bring it down. You know, now if they were to license something from someone else, then you run the risk of the contract ended it's not getting renewed so it there's always it's because i'm with you I, i'm a it's a touch and feel scenario because I, I i like having physical dvds you know owning not to say that, that you treat them like trading cards but you know it's nice to have and be able to view whenever you want and not have to worry about having to get a free trial and forgetting to end it yeah i mostly like it just for security reasons right like it is nice to have them and to show them to people and display them, especially when you get a nice crispy Criterion mm-hmm. Blu-ray from uh, your local Barnes & Noble if they carry it, <laughs> which sadly ours doesn't. We have to go all the way to Grand Rapids if we want that sort of thing. But, um, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things, too, where I just like to make sure that I can have access to it at all times. I, I, I definitely think it's a millennial thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think... Once our kids or our kids' kids grow up, like I have to imagine that even everything's going to be digital. Like you're just in, but what will happen is there'll be so many buyers in the market that the price, like we'll see subscriptions at like two ninety nine a month. Yeah, you know, just to have con- that content. I've been seeing some. Um, I don't go on TikTok really. I try to not go on it. Humble brag. I know, right? Um, showing my inner millennial right there. <laughs> uh, not really inner, just I am. But, uh, you know, sometimes TikTok content gets on YouTube and it gets on Reddit and stuff like that. Yeah. I've seen some really bad takes from, like, the TikTok film pages. And, like, one of them said, remember when millennials and Gen X tried to make DVDs and Blu-rays a thing? It's like, what do you mean tried to? Like, it still is. (laughs) Am I I losing track of time? Am I getting too old now? Like, what is going on? Is it, it just like a, a? I feel like it might just be like a certain, it's small demographic that's just always on TikTok that's saying that stuff and like has those takes. But I don't know if that's like an actual indication of the generation well, coming after you us. You know, you talk about. I mean, mostly at anything now, you want to have it stored on something. So then you start looking at, like you said, you know, the physical property of it and the actual. I mean, like. To make a DVD, package it, and sell it. I mean, there's so many costs that get involved with it. Whereas if you can just get out the content, eliminate those costs, you know, you're, you're reducing, not to get into all this business stuff, but like you're reducing your overhead and everything that it costs. Oh, yeah. To, to get it in there. So, and, and a lot of people are becoming so accustomed to just having their phone in their hand or being able just to click a button and access something that it's like, why should we have it? I mean, that's, if you think about it, your parents probably, at least I know mine, if they have a password, they write it down on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Like they don't trust that someone's going to get in there and find it, you know? 
Whereas, you know, you get us, it's like, well, I'll save the password. I'll have it, but maybe I will write it down somewhere just in case. We're going to get to a point where it's just, it's, you, there, everything gets encrypted, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just, you have it, it's readily accessible, and you don't have to have it down on a piece of paper. Like, I'm sure some, like, a lot of these things, you know, like paper, well, I shouldn't say it like that, but it will start to get reduced. I, I, I firmly believe that we're going to, we're entering an age where everything's going to be stored, saved, and accessible via click of a computer, and yeah. that's how we're going to start to, and it, it, you know, for the most part, it's probably a good thing too. I mean, it preserves resources. It doesn't really cost anything, and and it doesn't harm anyone to have these the, the information stored anywhere. You know, I don't know how much a giant modem takes up space, but yeah, me neither. I'm you know, the last person to ask about that yeah, sort of thing. Like I, I, I it, yeah, we're we're getting closer to to Terminator than we all we all think. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I just watched the new Mission Impossible, and that's very much uh, the case according to that film. Oh wow! I know Tom Cruise out with some political statements. Uh, as vaguely you know, general audience <laughs> appealing as he can get with it. You know, he's not he's not really putting a stamp on it. He's just saying, "Hey, this thing exists. Let's talk about it." Um, yeah, no, I just wanted to say too that like obviously with physical, like you said, the overhead, it's not going to cost them as nearly as much money to just put it online for rent and especially too with how and you know this is going to make me kind of sound like a boomer but as the newer generations grow up and as they start figuring their stuff out a lot of what they want is instant gratification they want things then and they want things now yeah because think about it before streaming services and movies being available online was a thing you would have to wait for it to come out on vhs or dvd there was a period of time where it wasn't in the theaters but it wasn't out on dvd can't wait till you're 60 explaining this to some kid i know they're gonna you know wheel me into the old folks home where i can watch old episodes of spongebob from season three yeah um but also too the cost to make it is you know obviously much less and plus like the instant gratification now a movie will come out uh right after it's done being in theaters it'll come out online to rent and the renting prices are like they're small enough to where like people can just go oh i'll just rent it but then they're also like a little bit more expensive than if a dvd comes out like six months after a theater release and it's like oh it's like a 199 rent it for like one night from a red box or something yeah like i don't know it's just one of those things where like the cost is outweighing the i guess air quotes importance of physical media yeah no it's i think there's gonna be they'll they'll probably start to look in lesser markets and weed it out and see how it impacts that bottom line at the end of the day let's not forget all these they're they're money grabbing whores so you know i mean seriously like if they go they're like boy profits went down three percent let's identify what happened in certain regions and they look at australia and they go we thought that by you know reducing these you know but not shipping out dvds right mm-hmm. putting it on disney plus would increase viewership and they realized they stayed stagnant and they lost sales because you know their margins were slightly above average with the with selling their dvds they'll go back to doing it like mm-hmm. it's not all the stuff that we're seeing now i think is a lot of corporations uh figuring out what we can reduce our costs with without impacting that bottom line. And that's yeah. honestly, that's what, that's what we're seeing. And I, I, my fear is that at some point, I mean, movie theaters are just going to go away. I mean, everything's just going to be readily like right now, you know, but it, there's going to be a gradual change because you got to see 
what because it's unprecedented what can we sell it at what's it cost you know like these companies they have a hundred hundred million dollar budget Mm-hmm. Right, but maybe thirty percent of what gets covered is coming out of movie theaters. Like you got to figure out how do we gain that thirty percent back. So do you just you know they'll they'll start throwing it out there and then they'll figure out the price range and then they'll realize oh a lot of people are viewing it at fifteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. You know let's do it that way and and as soon as the movie gets released we'll just we'll we'll do it now. Now is this I don't know I don't think this is going to happen within the next five years but i mean i really wouldn't be shocked if in like 20 years you were talking about a movie theater like you were talking about a drive-in yeah you know, there used to be the cinema carousel right it's, there it becomes a novelty in a sense mm-hmm. where it's i mean it's almost like you know like a carnival <laughs> yeah <laughs> like we go once a year to see the big movie that came out all right time to ride theater seven <laughs> so uh that's that's my take on it i i think this is there's a lot of uh, um, but the scientific experimentation, you know, you got the five questions or whatever it, and it happens in business. This is just it. You find lesser markets and you see how it impacts you in those markets and what, it, you know, the, the, what Newton's second law or whatever, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Is that reaction strong enough to take out what we did? Mm-hmm. You know, that's what, that's what we'll be seeing. So, um, I feel bad for the Aussies. Uh, yeah. they might be fist pumping too, though. You I know, mean, maybe they're happy. Maybe they've got an overwhelming uh, suffrage of fucking DVDs somewhere. I mean, I'm sure there's a few blokes that uh, I could could bear to have more physical media. <laughs> it was my attempt at an Aussie accent, mate. It sounds, That's not bad. Sounds yeah. a little more New Zealand than anything. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how it turns out. I Regional guess. dialect. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the same vicinity, mate. <laughs> it's all well and good. Um Speaking of indigenous cultures, uh, Wonka trailer. Did you watch that? Have you seen anything about <laughs> Timothy that? Timothy Charlemagne, right? <laughs> Charlemagne, yes. Or is that how you say Chalamet? Chalamet. But yeah. I, I like I like Charlemagne. Yeah, I've never. That's a that's a kid that felt like the next Leo DiCio. Did um, Timothy Chocolatier? Dude, I I did. Uh, it was before the Oppenheimer uh, movie. Oh, I really? saw the trailer. It was that or Barbie. I don't remember what one, but I it. Struck me as bizarre, wildly uh, uh, casted. I don't think that that's his role at all. I don't but, think it is either, dude. But I think they're trying. It's part of that. Like we're expanding your market and your, you know, people that are watching you. Uh-huh. So like, it's the same. You see it with actors all the time. Like, hey, you've been doing all these serious films. Your name's pretty popular. Let's get you into this kids' film, and now they can grow up knowing that you were Willy Wonka. Yeah, they're they're probably went to him and said you're going to be this super iconic character from this really beloved intellectual property you're going to be super you're going to be even more famed and legacied and recognizable than you have before and then the trailer comes out and i don't think it i don't think it looks great no god i uh, no it it looks like it looks like it's a willy wonka and the chocolate factory made movie is what i'm going to call it Oh, it, this is a money, money grab, and hey, Timothy, we're getting your name out there. Like, other than that, I can't. Well, it's like everything feels very, and I'm going to continue with the dessert puns, cookie cutter, from what I could see in the trailer. Well, like, his performance doesn't feel, I don't know, it doesn't feel like there's super anything, like, passionate behind it. Or dude, like, you just did Dune. <laughs> like, you're, <laughs> you've been in all these very... Uh, call me by your name, you know, yeah. very cinematic or, or, or theatrical pieces. And now it's like, 
you're gonna be Willy Wonka. Like you think he's like great. I've always wanted to be Willy Wonka. I think he more likely said, oh, "Great, I always wanted to make a shit ton of money at once." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it, it. That trailer came out, and as soon as I saw his name, like my mind immediately went into, "All right, who told them to take the role? Why did he take the role? What are they doing for him? Is this so? Like, is he gonna turn out to be the next like dry, like you know, burnout? Because." Yeah, these films, like, if it doesn't do really well... Now, granted, not to say his whole career gets ruined because he's been in a lot of big pieces, but, like, yeah. you take your name out of the hat on any sort of movie going forward that skids the line of being kid-friendly. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't use him anymore because they're going to be like... Do you remember... Like, like Mike Myers. You remember uh, Mike Myers and Cat in the Hat? It's like, <laughs> he's not doing anything that's kid-friendly again. Yeah. You know? Well, it's it's... I also wonder too if he's like kind of entering the realm of like maybe not necessarily Chris Pratt level but like I don't know Tom Holland like at the risk of just being in blockbusters or like movies that just flop after he's done with Dune there's there's some guys that have done you know like uh, uh, Tom Hardy had some good films and then he came out with the one with Chris Evans or Chris Pine and Reese Witherspoon some like double is like an agent trying to oh, get the girl. Oh yeah, the fucking romantic comedy yeah. with like the spies. And what usually happens is, from what I've heard other you know podcasts talk about, her is these guys they get typecasted into a certain role, and you want to expand. You know, like you have a market yourself because of you know your own you're you're doing your own marketing as a person yeah that you try to branch off and get these other roles brand recognition yes right and and you're the the chick that saw or the guy that saw inception isn't going to watch it but the chick that didn't see inception is going to watch that film so now you're becoming a little bit more your appeals widening right Mm -hmm. um but i my personal opinion what happened with him and that is that thing flopped didn't do well and that's when you ruin your name you can't. You, you, no one's gonna cast you again in some romantic comedy. Yeah. You know. So that's what I'm saying. Like, if he's if he's going that route, which would be my guess, is widening what brand recognition, widening your appeal. It's got to work. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, you kind of sell yourself out that way. Like that's why Chris Pratt is doing well. Yeah. Jurassic Park came out. It was fucking as safe as safe can get. Made shit ton of money. And people are like, oh, I recognize that guy. You know, that's Chris Pratt. He's the vanilla guy that doesn't really do anything. Like, awesome. Yeah. You know, he's kind of funny. He's got the moves, and he can he can move around real swanky. And, and you know, it, everyone goes, yeah, that's cool. And he's so safe with it that it doesn't piss anyone off. I love your use of the word swanky, by the way. That was a good use of it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. that's been, It's been getting brought up. Swank, I've dropped swanky a lot recently. So I think that's why it's just at the top of the my head with my vernacular. Yeah, I've been will. dropping the word cadence a lot cadence. recently. Yeah, I bet you it pops up here. I'm, I guarantee you it will. Just out of I just, not, <laughs> just casually just slip it in there. I feel like I've said it every podcast episode that we've recorded since I've started using it. I think you're right because I think you dropped it in the last one, and I was like, oh, that's a kind of not to say a weird term to dress drop like in there but you don't hear it a whole lot yeah i like to cycle through college words every <laughs> once in a while just to stretch them out you yeah, know? yeah. Get, their, get their sea legs <laughs> you gotta be careful you could be it could be another charlemagne could be uh did you see hugh grant in that trailer also as the oompa loompa no i i, I stopped watching it like i 
Like when I tell you my mind shut off, like I literally just started doing like in my head, and then I just heard like, and then every or like or he goes, well, what are you, Mister Oompa? He goes, I'm a Oompa Loompa or whatever it was, and I like looked back up. I was like, that sounded so racist, and then it just went to you know, Timothy Chalamet is Willy Wonka or whatever. So how it was was um, at the end of the trailer. He's sitting at a table and he's got like this little jar thing and inside yep. the jar is Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa. He's about the size of Max water bottle that he has right now. And um I guess there's a bit of a controversy too because people are coming out saying that the role should have gone to actual little people <laughs> when it's a CGI Oompa Loompa bean that is about the size of uh, like it's probably like the size of two hot dogs stacked on top of each right, other right so like it, it wouldn't have mattered pandering. if they were yeah if pandering it, people are pandering right now to get their platform out there yeah. that's another tiktok video right there that you're gonna see someone like you know i don't know what's the correct is dwarf is that the correct yeah okay you're or gonna, like yeah. little person yeah little person they'll be on tiktok you know yeah pandering but, to the people that want to listen and griping about it it's not even like that many little people it's normal people i shouldn't say normal people you know what i mean regular <laughs> sized be human beings we're not pandering uh, <laughs> regular sized human beings who are offended for people with dwarfism that are saying Dude. they should have put dwarves like actual little people in this role and it's like it doesn't matter they're fucking cgi and it's stupid i, I read a calvin and hobbs skip where Calvin starts going off about who's going to tailor themselves to the dinosaur committee and voice, you know, like we want to hear about the dinosaurs platform and this, that, and the other. And then the last thing is like, you got it. You know, you, we want to be the niche community that gets uh, uh, politicians to pander to one side or, you know, events or whatever. Uh-huh. And like, I, I like read that and, you know, I'm thinking, I'm like, holy shit. Like now that with social media, that, that's, you have that platform now. You know, yeah. it's out there. So, like, yeah, it's a CGI guy. We saw the smallest guy ever recorded, like, in the island of Dr. Moreau. That's right. And he was two feet tall. Uh-huh. Like, they just, they don't grow that size. So, no. like, it strikes me as odd. But what I really find humorous is that if that gains enough traction, it's going to sink this fucking movie. I mean. And there goes Timothy's kid-friendly career. Oh, yeah. There goes Timothy's big <laughs> come-out party. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it is, but it doesn't look great. It doesn't look great. Bleak. Yeah, bleak at best. Yeah. Speaking of uh, bleak, there's a lot of existential crisis. Oh, you want to do Barbie first? In Barbie. Oh, I was wondering what one we should do first, uh, but I guess it, it probably won't matter since they're both new. Yes, they they both came out the exact same time. Yeah, so we, we can't pick one or the other. Yeah. All right. All right. The fabled Barbenheimer, yes. as it's being referred to. Which, uh, you know, this is the first episode we mention it, and, you know, this is the only episode we're going to mention it again, so I hope you guys enjoy. Barbenheimer? Yes. All right. Uh, it's, I, I'm just kind of kidding. You oh. can bring it up if you want to. <laughs> it's up to you. I'm not going to restrict you. We'll talk about it after hours. You're a free man. Yeah. <laughs> you can do what you I want. I start listening to this thing. I just hear it get bleeped out every time I say it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? Go ahead. Go ahead, Mac. You can talk about it. <laughs> 
I've only had to censor you once, and it was when you, I think, name-dropped somebody. I'm glad you did, because I've had that conversation with a couple people and said, I'm going to try to stop name-dropping people, because <laughs> really? even, even if it only reaches select audiences, you know, those stories, really, that people don't have to have. Dude, you were talking about platforms. There's a CGI uh-huh. or dwarf that got... You know, talk so you can there's a out. there's a bleep there yeah. <laughs> that got you know us yell that imagine like a real person yeah. like hearing their name getting called out on this podcast and something like somewhat embarrassing right they're just enjoying it listen to us have a good time and then all of a sudden they're like what i do know someone that in a uh, derogatory fashion did say the word uh-huh. not me just now because that wasn't that um that's that not that was. I'm not going to say any names, but they know uh, if they're listening who it was, and they'll probably hear it and get a good chuckle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not going to name drop you, though. Don't worry. No, we aren't. But I know that as soon as it got dropped, as like I did, yeah. uh, I caught myself, though. This person did not, and they just went on casually like it was acceptable. Yeah, they just kept barreling through it. Oh, Sometimes yeah. you have to have that confidence <laughs> level of, if I just keep going with this term that I just dropped casually, then yeah. maybe they won't notice. Yeah. But we do notice. Yes, we do. Every and we will time. pander. We will pander. Yeah. <laughs> There's a shirt right there. Um so Barbie, since this was technically my recommendation, I can cover Perfect. this one. Perfect. I was, I was going to ask you to do it too. Cool, cool. Uh, so Barbie, uh, twenty twenty three fantasy comedy, directed by Greta Gerwig, uh, famed director of Lady Bird and Little Women, mm-hmm. uh, and written by Greta Gerwig and her husband Noah Baumbach. They are married. Yes. I didn't know that. I think they're married. Uh, I don't know 100% if they're married or just they've been dating since 2011. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I, I was very pleased that when their names popped up in the opening credits that they both wrote it. I like Noah Baumbach quite a bit. Yes. He's a, he's a guy that's a dude as far as writers. You know, <laughs> Another top five list that's coming out. <laughs> I mean, you, you kid, but maybe I'm not. Top five dudes that are writers. <laughs> <laughs> top five it's just our new thing. It could it could happen. It top could happen. five dudes that are comedy stars. <laughs> yeah, top five dudes that are comedy. Uh, yeah. Full stop. <laughs> uh, this film stars Margot Robbie as stereotypical Barbie mm-hmm. and uh, Ryan Gosling as Ken. Uh, Ken and Ken and Ken. Yep, and Ken. That's right. His full name and Ken, and um, is about Barbie played by Margot Robbie who lives in Barbie land with all the other Barbies and all the other Kens. And all of a sudden she starts feeling things that she hasn't experienced before, like existential dread, the sense of death and, uh, cellulite. Most importantly. Yes. And, um, she goes on a journey to discover what's wrong and her and Ken played by Ryan Gosling enter the real world to try and figure out what is going on. Which is all that's alluded to in the trailer too. I, I, yeah. I, I, I had to applaud it because a lot of the trailer was from just the exposition standpoint. Like I don't. Think, it really didn't give much away. No, not at all. Like you don't really. There's a lot of the scenes that happen in the trailer that are kind of like the laugh scenes. You know, like the big ones. Mm-hmm. Everyone had already saw. So like the beach off and. The, no, that one I don't think was in the trailer. 
I think it was. Was it? Yeah, oh, I remember. Okay. I remember it before. I've only seen. I probably only seen one iteration of the trailer. But a lot of those jokes that they had in the trailer that played in the film was like kind of designed for the laughs. Like didn't get that big of laughs because everyone knew it was coming. Yeah. But there were more laughs in there than than that, which I was very pleased with. I was happy with it because normally sometimes when you see a comedy movie. They show the best jokes in the trailer, yes, to get people to see the movie, obviously. Yes. But then when you go to see the movie, it's like, oh, I guess that's all there was. That's it. Yeah, that's it. But thankfully, this movie isn't like that. There's Agreed. so much in it that's really fucking funny. Yes, and I can't wait to get into it. Yes, what I really love, I think, the most about this is that it going back to the trailer, they kind of give you a sense of oh. Barbie and Ken are going to go into the real world, and that's where a lot of the humor is going to come from. It's going to be from them interacting with normal people. Right. And thankfully, the movie really isn't like that for the most part. Like, you spend probably... Spoilers for Barbie, by the way. Thank you for doing that, because I wanted to say it, and then I completely forgot. Yes. Uh, I got you. Don't worry. Uh, you're, you're, you're the good Ken here. Um, <laughs> so... Luckily, that's only like 20 minutes of the movie. Yes. Or like 20, 25 minutes. And then they go back to Barbie Land. And all the stuff in Barbie Land with like Ryan Gosling and all the Kens and them taking over and then the Barbies having to take things back. That's where like most of the comedy is. And that's where a lot of it just works. Oh, yeah. Because this movie was fucking funny. Dude, I this is one of the better written movies that I've seen. Like... Yeah. It's, all time it's so good and it has a perfect balance of self-awareness yes but enough actual comedic chops behind it to make it stand on uh, its own. that's why i i had to remember that greta gerwig and noah bombeck wrote this because I, I i saw their names i was like oh i feel like i'm gonna be in good hands and then by the time it ended i was like fucking a like they they must have had a blast writing that thing oh yeah absolutely you know? i think i read that um they spent pretty much most of uh, the COVID lockdown just going over the Barbie movie with each other. Oh, really? And the fact that they are, you know, they're romantic partners and that they live together. Wait, 10 years is like a really, I mean, in that industry, I feel like you're pretty solid. Right. You so know, like they probably just were able to bounce off each other super well and to just like keep increasing the quality of their ideas. Yes. And you can tell it in the final product of this movie because it's, oh yeah, it's fucking sharp. And like most of the jokes really do land. I, I was about to say, I mean, even a lot, like some of the throwaway lines, I was, I, in the theater, uh, so I went and saw this with the with the beautiful Jasmine. Shout out, um, and dude, she fucking she falls asleep in every film. Like it doesn't. Oh no, does she sleep in this one? Two minutes. Oh no, she she goes. You woke me up when. To you be ja fair, she's pregnant and she might have been tired. True. So yes. got to give her a pass. I, and I, well, I would if she hadn't done this in other films. Mm. So like. Anyways, I'm not going to get into that because that's a whole other discussion. Well, that's the thing, too. As soon as she's not pregnant, though, she's not She's she's not no, on the She's hook. done it before. She's not off this the hook isn't, That's what I'm saying. This isn't a pass. I don't give yeah. her... Like, I, I, I understand now that it's more likely to happen, mm -hmm. but if that was the first time, I would have been like, what? You know, but no, this is like a... Com and I'm like, in this movie alone, like, how do you fall asleep? This like, is it's, a reoccurring issue that it, we need to address it, right now. It, yeah, I mean, but... The, 
So, anyways, anyway. uh, we're we're watching it. And there are parts where I was the only one in the theater laughing, and then I'd laugh and I'd catch myself with my mouth because I didn't want to like be too loud. Oh, you didn't want to disturb anyone else. Yeah, because and I'm like, I don't know why other people like it was kind of like the audience laughs were there, and I even I normally I try to stay away from like joining the group and being like, oh, that's really funny, you know. But mm. I was even like, oh, that is really good. One of my throwaway lines that I really liked, and this is when I kind of got excited, was uh, so there's the Kens are sitting there, and this is like, so a lot of the characters are it. The acting seems a little odd, but they do a great job of playing plastic. Yeah, you know, no personality whatsoever. Everything's the exact same, and they're sitting there talking. And there's three Kens talking, and the guy just looks over and goes. What bird do you think I'm thinking about? <laughs> and then yeah. a guy goes penguin, and then another guy goes dinosaur. No shit. Uh, uh, and then he goes, it's a pelican. And then both of them are like, oh. <laughs> like, like, what? I was like, how fucking random is that? One, just be like, what bird am I thinking about? And then two, like, genuinely invested trying to get it, and disappointed when they didn't get it right. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the um, I love the moment where one of the Barbies sneaks into the house to like lure the other Barbie away from the Ken that's in there. Oh, the and then Godfather. The, the Ken is trying to explain the Godfather. He's like, you haven't seen the Godfather. Oh, it's Francis Ford Coppola's masterpiece that he made in 1972. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he goes behind the production studio and how they like reinvented like whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. They were mansplaining was the big theme. And that one was like, Oh, all you have to do is act like you're a dumb girl and they'll tell you anything you want to hear. Oh, I, I absolutely loved it. Oh yeah. It no, just this, didn't hold back with the types of humor that it was going for. No, and like I'm gonna even say, I was, I was like, I was a little uncomfortable with some of the stuff that they were getting into because I was like, you know, you just think about that stuff, and it's like makes I, you reflect on your own. Yeah, like I think I've been in that boat before, where I'm sitting there trying to, you know, like I've done that or done this. Oh and, yeah, like during that whole like uh, Godfather joke, yeah. I was thinking to myself, is this how I fucking sound to people? That's <laughs> what I was thinking the same thing. Like, <laughs> is this how I come across? Yeah, because I don't want to come across like that. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I, I if I, I don't know if I'm using the word mansplaining correctly, but that's exactly what I think of when I I think I think it is, yeah. You know, right? Like you, you don't get it, let me get it for you. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I wish we had a woman on here to, you know, to tell us whether or not we are right or wrong. But you know. As we go through and explain this. But we're doing it to both sexes, so True. Well, I should say all all sexes. Yes. Um uh, there's so much about this movie that I that I enjoy. It specifically like I even like the um, and I mentioned the quote earlier today like the you know as soon as I found out that the patriarchy wasn't about horses I lost interest like <laughs> I think that's one of my favorite lines in the film dude when he gets in there into the real world and like he starts looking around and sees guys doing everything mm-hmm. you know and but they're all on horses like <laughs> I was dying laughing and then his like little like you're a man like you know like what do you do he's like oh I'm, I run this I'm a manager he was like you direct other people he goes oh yeah he goes well, what about you know women he's like well they're kind of getting into it too you know and he's like well isn't there like a glass ceiling or something he's like no he's like no not technically but we've gotten smarter about it mm-hmm. he's like oh my god you're so respected he goes like i wish i was and they both like really laugh or whatever yeah dude yeah i yes the writing of this thing it, there's no line honestly the only time the only thing i really didn't like about this was the ending like, yeah I, I, and not the very ending scene was even funny. Like, I was very happy that's the route they went. Mm-hmm. But like the only part I was kind of, and I'm like, you know what? I mean, it, it 
it's got me to this point. It's not like it's weak or it's strong. It was just kind of a little bit more sentimental and it's a it's a very different tone from the rest of the yes. movie. Yes, because the whole movie up until that point is just very comedic. There's not really a whole lot of you know emo- like heavy emotional scenes. You get like maybe a snippet or two with like America Ferrera's character and yes. like her monologue about women and how men view them and things like that. Yes. And then uh, like her relationship with her daughter too. Like you get a little bit of that, but for the most part, even those scenes are like still played to a comedic effect because obviously yeah. her monologue is very like it's punchy. It's punchy. It's kind of long-winded, but it has a purpose because everything she says has meaning. Yes. And it's comedic in the fact that the things that she is listing is so long. So I want to say, I want to throw this out there because I just thought about it too. Cause I, as she was talking about women, there's, there's some sort of, um, so I was using, like, I was thinking about the freight, like a paradox, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know if that's exactly how you could view it, but you know, we're supposed to be this way, but if we do it, we're viewed that way, sort yep. of deal. And but and then, he, so actually, just talking about it, hearing it, I thought the whole movie was somewhat sort of paradoxical, you know, as like them going between worlds and realms and the, the, you know, I I want to say dichotomy, but, um, kind of like, you know, what's expected out of everyone? Yeah, like you know? what's expected out of both women and men? Right. It seemed like. A little bit of a, and I keep wanting to say paradox, but you're dealing with. It's almost like you're you're dealing with Barbie Land, right? It's viewed one way, then they go to the real world, which is viewed another way, then they go back to Barbie Land, which is almost as reflected like the real world. But you could tell that once they go back to the real world, this thing's supposed to sort of change what's going on there. You know, hand in hand, they're supposed to move fluidly while inspiring each sort of land. So, well, it's a good it's a good commentary on both. Uh, men and women because I think a lot of people view this movie as like purely just a feminist film and there's a lot of feminist themes and yes, yes. pro-woman messages obviously with a movie like this but at the same time it's not like it doesn't touch on men's mental health or the way men view things or the different kind of issues that men face when it comes to living in a society i know what i just said is kind of memed we live in a society haha but it's true we're like this movie is kind of a reflection of both of those issues mm-hmm. it's just a little bit more outwardly feminist just because that's that's where like the main themes are it, and it kind it touches on the issues that men face but through the lens of feminism and through the lens that they go through every day it's fun well i mean it's like you say that but also, I mean, if you look at Barbie, the way I've always viewed it is, and there's one, there's a spiel on it about it being, you know, a capitalistic piece of whatever to get women to view themselves or have insecurities about themselves. Whereas, like in the world that they're living in, the whole idea behind Barbie was so that you could feel empowered to do these certain things. Like when you buy a Barbie, that's the, you know, the the um, pilot Barbie, you know, or the doctor Barbie, yeah, or the I don't know if they had a lawyer Barbie, but, you know, the President Barbie. Saul Goodman Barbie. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, the idea behind it was that you'll purchase, you know, you'll buy this Barbie and you'll see not necessarily a projection of yourself, but what could be obtained, you know, whereas the way that it it sounds like, you know, females are buying Barbies for was just, uh, you know, 
treat it like like oh you got the doctor barbie well i'm gonna take off the doctor suit we're gonna we're gonna you know brush your hair we're gonna put this on and then it's just it's just another doll yeah you know so it was really interesting to kind of hear both sides of like what barbie was intended for versus like what we're actually consuming with it yeah you know and And i remember too like growing up uh i think it was around like when i was in maybe middle school or high school when they were talking about how Barbie was becoming controversial because of the uh, disproportionate mm-hmm. body types that they would sell, and like how it would make women view themselves. And yeah, I like that. It, I like that this movie acknowledges it because yeah, to me, it feels like the movie's being transparent with itself, and it's not. It's holding itself accountable to what Barbie is as a property and like the kind of history that it has. With what you were saying with the whole intent of Barbie being, oh, women can play with these dolls and they can be whatever they want to be. Well, they can like, see little, themselves that they way. Can, they can like project themselves into yeah. the dolls. It's supposed and, like, to be like female empowerment. At least yeah. Margot Robbie brings it up. Right. And then that's obviously not everybody's perception of it. And they bring those up in yeah. the movie, which I, I like that they do that. It, yes. it tells me that they're willing to touch every single base in a in a really interesting lens. Oh, a hundred percent. They didn't they 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 didn't hold back any punches, but they did it in a very cheeky manner, which yes, I think drives home the point, but doesn't offend anyone. Oh yeah, like I don't. I well, could see this. Movie, some people, some people are being offended. By I could this see movie. people getting pissed off a hundred percent, but like <laughs> those people are probably people that I want go and you know sit down with that and have tea with. So yes, they're not allowed at our tea party. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't a Barbie joke either. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, you know, like so. Um, yes, a lot of uh, a witty lot of, jokes, a lot of references. Yeah, yeah, a lot of witty jokes. It, it, yeah, like I said, it feels like almost all the jokes land. I think what's kind of ironic too about this movie is that, despite it being like mostly a message about uh, you know feminism and empowering women and equality for mm-hmm. women specifically that um to me ryan gosling is like the standout in this movie he like he for me he almost steals the movie dude he <laughs> like it's it's kind of just ironic just I, thinking about like it the movie is. itself and the themes and like what i it is like the most about it i i remember i was listening to i was listening to some podcast before and they talked about the black panther and their favorite part of the black panther was the only white dude in it <laughs> That played the bat like they were like he was fantastic as an actor. It's the guy that plays Gollum. I can't think of his name. Oh, Andy Circus. Yeah, they were, that was their favorite part of Black Panther. That's and weird because he's barely in the movie. It, it was just a really good villain. You know, he's got. He his, was, but anyways. So that's anyways. what it kind of reminds me of. No, Gosling in this is fantastic. I and I think he so. You know, Margot Robbie had to play somewhat grounded of a character going through the existential crisis, whereas Gosling could just eat into the lines, mm-hmm. and he does. I mean, like, let's not. He at the beginning, I was kind of a little bit like, eh, he's all right, and then the more it goes on, and the more I realize like how just plastic he is, and getting true inspiration without actually understanding mm-hmm. the inspiration behind it or what it could lead to. You know? Yeah. Was it? Yes, he was awesome. It's not a character that's meant to have a lot of depth. It's just a character that's meant to be a certain way. 
and he, act a certain way and be portrayed a certain way. He's and Ryan com- Gosling nails it. He's a comedic. I don't want to say comedic relief, but he he gets to play the the funny part about all this, where you know Margot Robbie has to go through this stuff and and and. Uh, convey to us that she's actually going through this stuff and she's learning these emotions at a, at, at a rapid pace and, and having to discover the world whereas Gosling doesn't have to do that at all his sole purpose as they define is to impress Barbie he's given all the fun things to do in this film and he goes through a little bit of growth you know yeah. you can't say he doesn't I no mean, he goes through emotion he has that breakdown at the end of the movie where, yes. where he has that talk with Barbie kind of it kind of, to me, represents the whole like men's mentality of this whole movie. It's like, oh, you get the men's perspective on their issues and how they should be able to work through them by communicating. Yes. And then at the end of the movie, he's wearing a nice sweater that says, I am Knuff. And it's <laughs> Dude, I, it's great. And I want that sweater. Oh, same. I, I, so I read it very first. It just said, I am enough. And mm-hmm. I kind of was like, no one in the theater laughed when that thing came on. And I, I saw the giant K, so I read it again. I, I like literally was the only one that was in the theater doing a Mac laugh. So I'm glad you brought that back up because I didn't want to touch on that. Uh, I went to see this movie with my friends. So I went with Megan, Gideon, Lauren, Chris, and Bev. Mm-hmm. And we all saw it. And it was like probably a half full theater. But yeah. everybody was pretty much sitting in the same general vicinity. Like there wasn't that many people like towards the back, not many yeah. people that towards right. like we were all very much in the middle. Yes. And I think me and my friends were really the only ones in the movie just like laughing hysterically yeah. throughout most of the things that were happening. I same it, with mine. It, it kind of almost made things funnier for us. Just because like yeah. not that many people were laughing along with us. So like we were just like hamming it up in, in the yeah. theater. Like it was it was a good time. And I'm glad Megan was there to watch it with me, too. Shout out to Megan. Uh, because she actually was able to recognize a lot of the outfits that Margot Robbie wore yes. as Barbie. And she was like, oh, I remember this Barbie figure. Oh, I remember this outfit. I remember that coat that she had on when I was a little girl. And I don't know. It kind of adds to the authenticity of you know the filmmakers and the costume designs and like the fucking set design, too. Of this movie oh it is fantastic it is so popular it's insane like i'm convinced that's where most of the budget for this went to because it's crazy like i heard at one point that the the world was in a pink shortage like a pink dye shortage because of this movie really yeah oh dude this thing it it pops i mean this is kind of like this is a um this is spice world you know all those songs put into one mm-hmm. like just that it's that sort of pop that it, it's really it's easy on the eyes it can get uh oversaturated not the color but like just with what the, the if the tone of the film and the dialogue doesn't match you might get bored of this universe or at least annoyed with it yeah where it every character fits in with how the, how the world's being portrayed so it it really does a great job of becoming like a you know, uh, an uh, ancillary character in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, just the way that the beach looked and the houses, and I mean, the colors everywhere. It's so bright and vibrant, and it really, it it adds to the tone of the film, mm-hmm. and it really keeps you engaged too. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's nothing really bleak about it. No, just the existentialism and some of the some of the thoughts that Margot Robbie has. You know existential crisis barbie yeah depression barbie it, 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 it i think it opens up her world a little bit more to at least for the writers to be able to talk about these big subjects you know right these, the all, all the 
what's going on in the film. I mean, it's really just so that she has now opened up her mind to be able to accept these thoughts and ideas. And now that they get to tie the two hand in hand. And even the, you know, even the, uh, uh, the film itself, they don't spend a whole lot of time in the real world because I don't think they wanted to use that as the message. No. You know? And like, it could have been very easy for them to fall into the crutch of, oh, the characters interacting in the real world is where all the humor is going to come from. Right. And that's all the movie has to offer. Yeah, that's going to be the kind of, that's it's going to be the fish out of water and it's going to really be great and they're going to have to discover all these things and Gosling's going to play this like annoying dude that just picks up and just accepts ideas, doesn't have any thoughts of his own and we'll just have him rise in the rain, you know, and they, they don't. I mean, it's no, they give you, they give you enough of it to, yeah. uh, to, to sink your teeth oh, into I love, dude, my favorite, my favorite thing. And of that whole thing movie was the, uh, 1980s, uh, I am Ken song. Oh, I'm just Ken dude. And then the dancing, the choreography, it was, uh, Megan has been playing that song every day. And has had it stuck in her head, and it's now stuck in my head. It's a great song. It's like, it's it awesome. Really I is. love the like synth that comes in, <laughs> and like the kind of like breakdown, and then he comes in with the "I'm just Ken." Yeah. Anywhere else I'd be a ten, dude. Is it my destiny to live and die a life of blonde fragility? Yeah. That's just to prove that I knew the the words. To oh, the song. I, I had no doubt because I, I I heard that thing like this whole soundtrack that was like. I think I could down, I, could, I could have this on my phone. I don't know if I'd be embarrassed about it or not. That but, and the um, the push song that he sings, the like Matchbox Twenty One. Oh God, yeah. Where he's just hamming it up. If you like, go back and listen to the actual song. Oh, and, like just pay attention to the way I he's was. pronouncing I, words. I, I oh, like, it's just so purposefully goofy. Like he's just I wanna take you for ground now. Yeah, <laughs> he's not even pronouncing words at that point. He's just like making gargled noises, and it's so funny. They did that was that was real fun. Um, I think Gideon told me his favorite joke was um when uh alan is in the car with uh america ferreira and her daughter and they're uh, they're trying to leave and he's pointing to the construction workers and he says as soon as they figure out how to build a wall horizontally we're screwed <laughs> like something like that Hor- horizontally not vertically yeah. yeah and then they go to the wall and they're just building it straight up it just looks like a <laughs> chimney yeah. I love how he gets out there and just beats everyone's ass too. Oh yeah, I, was oh, I not, forgot about that part. I was not expecting that to happen. Well, oh, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, I wonder if he's gonna go. Hey guys, you know. And then all of a sudden he does like the, and I was like, oh, he's gonna get his ass kicked so they can drive off. Greta Gerwig just said to herself, "What's the silliest thing I can have these actors do in mm-hmm. this scene?" And then just just let them do it. It really just felt like she just did that. Well, it's just give them room to have that fun and to yeah. like just. I'm going to take Michael Sarah and I'm going to have him beat a bunch of like construction workers up. And it's just going to be funny to watch because you never see that in movies ever. You wouldn't <laughs> expect it either. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> Alan's like the guy that you thought you'd just be like, you know, they have the movies where some guy's getting his ass beat and he's like the he's, he, you know, he's sacrificing himself for, you know, the, the cause to go on. Yeah. No, he's just going to go in there and then he kills a guy. <laughs> yeah, it's like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you thought Alan was just going to be the Dinkelhoff of, yeah. of Barbie, but he's a little, little more than that. No, he serves a purpose. And he's then he, Alan. Yeah, he kind of he gets involved with everything. He's like happy when they take back the government. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, that was really funny. No, the, the, the music in this was fantastic. Music's I, great. I, I love it. I the think first couple songs are were really fun, too, as mm-hmm. they're just describing what Barbie's doing. Yeah. Because they have 
they have the first song that comes in, it opens up, and it's like, oh, that's Barbie's tune, you know? And it's like, no wonder it's like some poppy rap. And then the next day, when she's going through shit, the who's ever singing it is narrating like what's going on <laughs> yeah. as they're singing it. I was like, oh, that's pretty. That's 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 a good touch. So it's a little more dour in the lyrics, yeah. but it's still got like the cheerful tone with it, right? Uh, I really enjoyed that. There's something that I wanted to mention too that I think kind of helps me think about this movie in relation to Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. It's sort of the same thing I feel about Django with um, Jamie Foxx and Christoph Waltz Mm -hmm. in that movie where I really do like Jamie Foxx in that movie. And I think that he's a good choice, obviously, to play that character. And he plays it well. But Christoph Waltz as King Schultz in that movie is given so much fun things to do and say and like he's given a lot of the good dialogue and just the way he plays that character is just so much fun to me i think that this movie to me is very similar to django and how i feel about the main character and the the secondary character yeah that way because like margot robbie is great as barbie and she plays it perfectly and she's she's given all the things that she needs to do and she does it very well ken as you know Ryan Gosling as that Ken character is just so much fun to watch. Yeah. And for me, just completely steals it. And I think comparing those two in that way helps me kind of think about my relation to how I feel about this movie. It, you know, I, I, I do think he had a little bit more of a juicier role, mm-hmm. you know, but he, like, like we're for saying sure. though, I mean, he knocks it out. Of, it's the same with Waltz. I mean, he had, it's a little bit of a juicier role. You mm-hmm. know, but you still have to take that role and knock it out of the park. Absolutely, and I he did. I I he was fantastic. I, I mean, every I, I don't think there was really one. The only character I was kind of like eh, on was the daughter. Yeah, I really didn't need much more of her in it. But if I yeah, if I had like a big complaint about the movie, it would probably be her and America Ferrera. They didn't feel like they were really needed in the film. Like, it just kind of felt like their characters were just vehicles to get from yes. a certain point. But that's how the real, that's what, I, like, the whole real world idea behind all of it, too, wasn't, it was a little bit enlightening, but there really wasn't much of it besides Margot Robbie to discover this and understand, like, these problems exist now. Right. You know, so, I mean, it, yeah, I, but they, I thought America Fer- Ferrara, 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 Ferrara I liked was her, fine. I liked her monologue that she had. Yeah. And I, I would never say that their acting is really bad or anything, but... I just as far as their characters and like their relation to the story, it could have taken them or leave them, you know. Yeah, I think I would have still take America in there. Like I don't, the daughter was at, at some point. Like the daughter just lost lines, and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. It was nothing against her. She just wasn't. I didn't. Once you find out that it wasn't her playing with Barbie, I was like, oh, then we really don't need her. And even them, you know. Uh, kindering a, another relationship or rekindling a, a relationship like great you know like i don't if everything going on that's like almost like yeah side quest d and this whole thing i there's some movies where i feel like they they reach a certain point where they meet like a kind of younger kid character and then all of a sudden the movie kind of makes them the main character almost. That's where I thought this was going. That's where I thought this was going to. And I was kind of worried that it was heading there. But I'm right. thankful that it didn't. No. It's, and, and the movie's the, all the better for it. I'm th- The kid in this thing isn't like 
some other kid actors like god they sucked like she no she wasn't, wasn't bad yeah she was just a b like where this whole film just like, her character just didn't do anything after <laughs> at no. a certain well, point and i think in the writing like, it was like well we've just kind of have her sitting here so like let's not like keep feeding her lines like she's already done kind of like what we need her to do like you're saying it was a vehicle and you know that that should suffice yeah and it did like i don't think anyone that you watched this thing was like i needed more of that relationship going on mm-hmm you know, I just felt bad because I was like, all of a sudden, America Ferrera is like sitting there talking with, you know, Barbie, and, and it, you can see it's centered on them now. And she's just kind of like there. Yeah. She's <laughs> just hanging out next to Kate McKinnon. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's big chilling. Yeah. It just, it felt a little, little out of place, but nothing that's distracting or takes you out of it. I mean, if that's like, if I had a gripe on the film, if anything, you kind of forget that she's there sometimes. You do. Well, that's what, it, towards the end, when they're in the car and they're driving back and they're singing the song you know because that's like the song you have to sing to get out uh-huh uh i was kind of like oh yeah i guess that she's still in this thing and like i was almost expecting like just to be gone yeah you know mm-hmm. but and then there was uh, one other kind of like critique that i had uh-oh. um nothing like to do with like the the content of the movie really but just like the cinematography didn't feel anything too special or unique. It was no. very straightforward. They this yeah, but you know, I mean, it, yeah, it just felt like it was just shot like a normal comedy. But I mean, it is. It is a comedy. So yeah, they do some swooping I'm, crane shots coming yeah. down from the house. There's like a and, few things that are cool, and I'm not expecting like anything on the level of like Inuritu or whatever. But like, right. you know, just a something a little bit more would have made me really go like, ooh, that's impressive. That's nice. That's cool. That's zany. Um. But as far as like critiques go, that's pretty much it. Like, yeah, this didn't. Whoever I don't know who directed this, but this doesn't feel like that. This is who will get the accolades from this. Greta Gerwig. Oh, she directed this. Yeah. Interesting. Have you seen any of her other films? Um, no. Lady Bird was one that I have on my list of movies to check out. Uh, that had a lot of Oscar talks behind it. I think that was like one of the first ones that she wrote mm-hmm. and directed, maybe the first. And then Little Women with Florence Pugh um, didn't catch my interest. So I want to watch Little Women after watching this just to kind of like compare her directing yeah. different films. Uh, I really liked Lady Bird. Lady yeah. Bird I thought was great. Um, I don't think I won't like it. It's It's... I've come to realize that the subject matter really has to uh, uh, pique my interest in order for me to be like, I'm going to watch this. Yeah. It's got uh, Timothy Charlemagne in it. Yeah. He's a a side character. Is he the boyfriend or is he trying to uh, He's a boyfriend. It's a tumultuous relationship, right? With a Uh, a girl and her mom. As tumultuous as a, a, uh, you know, the teen that doesn't care about anything can be. Okay. Um, Yeah. His name is Kyle in the movie too, which is interesting. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Interesting. I'm surprised that she didn't. Well, maybe you know she wrote it too. Then so she probably was like, "Hey, like we don't have to do anything special. Like the actors and the writing alone is going to be like what wins this." You know. Yeah, I think she had a strong hand in just like setting the tone, getting everything to look great, and obviously like directing Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie to how she wanted them to perform and like come across on screen, obviously. Yeah. You know, props to her. Cause this movie's great. Yeah. This is truly a, this is a hard one to kind of nitpick at, but there's just so many fun things in it where mm-hmm. like really we could just spend the whole time just going on and on about what was fantastic. Cause like the, Oh, I, we could, 
I mean, like this, the yeah, the film. I I I walked out. I didn't know what I was getting into. Both movie going experiences were mediocre. And this one, I had someone that was sitting behind me. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and just kept just neat. I'm I'm six two. Not once did I touch the recliner in front of me. Now I don't know if that if she was leaning back or not, but I just kept getting bumped. Yeah. Not enough to be like, hey, knock it off, but like enough to kind of make you go like, <sighs> yeah, just like, all right, like what's going on back there? Why can't we get adjusted? Like, are you bored of this film? You know, and it just looked like a bunch of mouth breathers. Like they, I didn't hear them really laugh. They were kind of just talking throughout the film. Like every yeah. once in a while, you'd hear a quip or like, oh, that's you know, and then kind of like a, like a laugh. Like they're the ones oh, I hey, can see walking out. That's Simu Liu from uh, the the, the uh, Shang Chi movie. Uh, uh, I, yeah, he's in Marvel. I think he's gonna be <laughs> in the, the, the Avengers. <laughs> That's exactly what was like going on behind me. So I I that was about it though. I think Oppenheimer was a little bit more distracting, but you know. Um, oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, I had um we had some kids behind us, probably like four or five. Mm. Um, and four or five kids or the ages, the ages. Okay. Uh, two, two kids, probably like four or five and they did not have any sense of whispering. Mm. Like anytime they wanted to point something out or ask their mom a question, they would just ask it like just out loud. Yeah. Like how I'm talking right now. And it didn't bother me too much because they were just kids and I didn't want to like turn around and be like, shut the fuck up, you little shit. But, um, you know, yeah. the thought the thought crosses my mind sometimes. Like, oh, do I eat this child across the theater? What's going on? Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, I think it depends on the film too. Like, if a film's and like, that's kind of why I didn't probably a little bit. Well, I'm not even saying like I give them a pass just from being a Barbie movie. It's more of like you're so engaged with the film, like you hear that stuff, and it's kind of like, oh god, you know, and yeah. then it's like, but I don't want to miss this next line. And that's kind of that's a big part of what it was too. Is like yeah. I was enjoying the movie so much that. It really anything that was going on around me that would have bugged me otherwise yes. just didn't really that's how i that's not how enough, i was not enough for me to get like tied up about it so yes luckily that was the case was there anything else we want to talk about with barbie no i i, I think that's it i mean i i splendid i, I my biggest thing is like just go out and see this film like that's my biggest. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of comedies that can make me laugh as hard as this movie did. Dude, this thing, yes, yes. Like it's very effective and just. I wouldn't the humor. even have guessed when I saw the trailer that it was like a straight comedy, like because of the existential crisis and all that. It's kind of like, well, what's gonna happen once I get? Honestly, I thought they were gonna spend a lot of time in the real world. You me know? too. And then all of a sudden they they make it back, and I was like, oh yay. <laughs> oh <know>? yes <laughs> thank the lord <laughs> you know yeah and will ferrell in this is not distracting which i was pleasantly surprised that about was that. my biggest fear was mm -hmm. like as will ferrell's gotten a little older he seems to be leaning a lot more into his persona which usually dries out and yeah. it kind of gets like he's dr dry he's very uh restrained in this film yeah. Thankfully. Well, and when he does, he, when he does like some Will Ferrell stuff, it's warranted and it's fine. Like the only, I think the only thing I didn't find funny that they thought would be great is like when he's like, "Let's go over the cubicle." Like throw me. It's like, I think that's a good example of a great director who can direct Will Ferrell into doing something that doesn't make you cringe. Yeah. Because I feel like in a lot of his movies, 
the director just says, all right, this is the scene. This is what your character has to do. Do yeah. it however the fuck you want. And then he always kind of falls back on his man-child routine that he's oh, yeah. known for. This movie, it feels like Greta Gerwig had a good hold on him uh, and he, was like, all right, you're good at this. I need you to do this exactly how I'm telling you to. Do not deviate from it. And he's like, got it. Well, you said man-child. Like, it kind of fits in with, you know, the theme of men in this. A little bit, you yeah. Know, but, but, like, not... Yeah, not to the degree where he's like screaming the entire time right. and like I don't know hopping around like a fucking maniac. No, he he. The only the only issue I had was that the cubicle. I thought the the other one that I was like, oh great, was when they were trying to get out with the key card, mm-hmm. and he he grabs it and throws it yeah. at it, and then he goes yes because it lights up in green and it goes back to red. He goes oh no, he blew it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I thought that was gonna be really terrible that I, I actually was like oh that's pretty funny he's just genuinely upset that he can't get through the fucking <laughs> well, like, bar fucking just ganks it and throws it at it like like that's supposed to open it up like it's a fucking you press it down it's a key card like you would there's he's like there's no time to waste and just like, like i'm it's, gonna save three milliseconds it's the implication that he's never had to go back through it since he's been in that tower yeah, so he yeah. just has no idea how it fucking <laughs> so works stupid. he's just always up in there uh, oh my god yeah great yes. great movie um what would you rate it if you had to slap a number so i you know it's gonna sound really weird as I talk about both these films. Um, this is like it's like a nine point seven to five out of ten. Like I just, I don't know. It's very close to a ten, but I, I don't think I have too many comedies that are ten because I always feel that they'll they'll get stale. Right. And I, you know, to say that point two five is literally like what factors into every movie when I rate it. It's mm-hmm. that how much of this will I really enjoy upon reviewing it again and again and again and this film i feel like i could watch it like two more times and then i'll be like I'm, I'm good on it but like no this is this is like as close to a 10 as i could give a film you know so i i wish that there was more decimals in there but yeah it's a nine out of ten with i mean honestly like it's it's i wouldn't be shocked if i saw this again and i had to say i laughed at the same parts as what this is a 10 yeah I mean, the fan, dude, the the acting, the you know, like I know you said the cinematography. I didn't really care about like the writing was fantastic. Set and, design's awesome. Oh, everything clicks. Everything really clicks. And one of the things that you got to appreciate in a movie is when they can take some heavy subject matter and lighten it up or fluff it up enough to where it's not offensive, mm-hmm. you know, and it still has a purpose and a point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what this film had. So, uh, this for me is a very 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 high eight out of ten. Eight out of ten yes whoa i know man i thought you were gonna be a nine i thought you were gonna be nine out of ten it's for sure. very close like if i watch it one more time i might bump it up right just to like gauge how i really feel like about one it one more joke that you see that you didn't recognize the first time that you laugh at and you're like holy shit like, yeah yeah like this thing everything even when i don't think it's coming like, it still comes to me it's an eight out of ten but like it's as like you said it's as fucking close to a nine out of ten as mm-hmm. you can get without it being a nine out of ten like it's Super fucking good. Love Ryan Gosling. Margot Robbie's great. Uh, the set design's awesome. There's a lot of work that went into it, and it fucking shows. Yes. Will Ferrell wasn't as annoying as I thought he would be. Obviously, cinematography isn't anything super memorable, and there's some like character stuff that, after a certain point, like you said with the kid, doesn't really feel like it matters. Some of it gets stale. Some of it gets stale. But, I mean, 
so many of the jokes land and i think it's a testament for me personally that this movie just made me laugh as much as it did because I, I am very hard to make laugh with a movie dour I think. as people have said before yes <laughs> nihilistic even yeah. <laughs> boy that's a big nine letter word it is <laughs> is it not uh i'm not gonna count it right now it's okay i just threw out a number <laughs> yeah speaking of numbers oh there's a countdown and when it comes to a countdown christopher nolan included it in the trailer for his movie oppenheimer all right well we're gonna hear what you got because you're gonna cover oppenheimer for us yeah so we went we went and saw oppenheimer uh Oppenheimer is a movie written and directed by Christopher Nolan. I'm going through right now. I think he wrote this. You are right. He definitely did. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Starring Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer. No one knows what the J is for. Uh, I do. Ooh. It's, uh, well, I won't say it before I give a spoiler warning. All right. Uh, (laughs) good call. Even though I don't think they say it in the movie. Emily, no, they don't. Emily Blunt, they literally do that joke of like, no one knows what the J's for. (laughs) And then they just call him Robert the whole time. And then they just fucking ignore it. (laughs) Which will probably actually play into what I have to say about the names. Uh, Emily Blunt with Kitty as Kitty Oppenheimer. Uh, Matt Damon as Leslie Groves. Robert Downey Jr. as Louis Strauss. Uh, and then anyone that's ever acted in Hollywood playing secondary roles. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. This is literally like the who's who as people come in of where did I, where do I know that guy from? Mm-hmm. Uh, one name that I do want to shout out, Macon Blair as Lloyd Garrison. Yes, I was very happy to see him in this movie. Same, uh, that he he must have put on weight for this thing or his prosthetics because like I was looking at him like I know that guy. Uh-huh. You know, and then Sam was like, "Oh yeah, making Blair in this too." Was like, "Ugh." ugh. I, that's what I thought to myself too. I was like, "Hey, it's it's Mister Blue Ruin, yeah. man, right there." So, yeah, as soon awesome. As, he, as soon as he, uh, David Crumholtz as Isidore Rabbi Rabbi, uh, that was a guy. He was the uh, elf in the Santa Claus. Oh really? Anytime I see him, I'm always like, "Oh yeah, he's." You know, and oh, I'm not yeah. one to judge. I've added some pounds too, so it's just interesting to see some of these guys. Where it's like, I don't know if you like that's that's a new, new game, fatter prosthetics. You're just uh, you're just uh, method acting for Nolan's next movie. Oh, I can't wait to audition. for He's that. going to include every U.S. citizen that has yeah. ever lived. <laughs> Seriously, dude, this is like I'm just going through this. It's it's a who's who. Uh, anyways, Matthew Modine's in this too. Um, Anyway, the story of the American scientist and his role in the development of the atomic bomb, uh, what opens up with, uh, I can't remember if they're, I think they're, Strauss is talking a little bit, like they do the courtroom hearing, mm-hmm. and then they kind of get into Oppenheimer's life, and you get a little bit of a flashback of him getting into theoretical science, um, kind of having some of these visions, and you know, they intertwine these stories. So there's uh, a, co- a couple different uh, color formats uh, as we see kind of like what's happening, uh, what was like before, what was happening. I don't want to say like currently was black and white, before it was in color. So I know, not to cut you off, but no, I, you're good. I know the meaning behind the different color grading. So, but I can save it for after you're done. Spoiler alerts with Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and essentially this is it's the story of how he built the bomb and sort of his life and what it meant to be the man that built the bomb. So spoilers. Spoilers for Oppenheimer. Um 
So with the black and white versus the color scenes, mm-hmm. um, and this is something that I heard about before I saw the movie, and then I read about it today, so it kind of confirmed my thinking of it. Yeah, the scenes in black and white are supposed to be a more objective view of how the events took place. Right. So essentially, it's supposed to be uh, more or less the truth of what took place, whereas the color scenes are a more subjective view from Oppenheimer's perspective within the film. Okay. So like that's why a lot of the scenes in color are following Killian Murphy's character specifically. Yes. And then a lot of the ancillary stuff with Louis Strauss and Robert Downey Jr. and like all those other characters in the court hearing and then like some other few scenes here and there are in black and white because yeah. they're more straightforward and objective. Okay. So. Yeah, that makes sense cuz I think by the end of the film He's talking to Einstein and that his the guy he looked like he was in the dark night. I can't remember what Sam told me what film he was in. Um he kind of said, "Well, how do you know that him and Einstein were talking about you?" Mm-hmm. You know? And then it goes to the scene you actually get to see what they talked about and yeah. then it, it kind of transitioned into color and you know, he, talking about that. So anyways, um yeah, uh do we do goods or bads first? Um I I think I'll just like say my baseline opinion of it. Um, I really enjoy this movie. I think I'm going to need to watch it again to really like. Wow, we couldn't have been more cement, in the same boat. Cement my view of it. Um, I so I think I, it's important for me to to say how I watched this movie. So I saw it in 70 millimeter IMAX. Yes, I've had a lot of people that are film purists that say they can't. They want to watch it in that format. Yeah, and it's like it's very difficult to do it right now because I tried to see if there were any more uh, times available to go see it with Megan because she wants to see it in Why seventy don't you millimeter. Just see it in the normal viewing, and now you can compare and contrast the difference. Well, that's the one thing that I'm curious about because that's Megan wants to see it in IMAX. Oh, but unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of availability now because there's the big buzz about it, and people are going in droves to see it in. IMAX deal. Like, this movie's making money. It's making a lot of money. But yeah, dude, Christopher Nolan's a genius. You know, Christopher Nolan, t- 10 years ago, was bitching about IMAX. He said it was like, that's the way where film's going. He thought it was absolutely ridiculous. And I think he was like, oh, you know what? Let's just market this thing. We'll say the best way to see it is in IMAX, and we'll just let all the fucking hype around it build up to where people can only want to see it in IMAX. Yeah. You know, this is my take on it. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, it, it looks like we'll have to watch it in um, normal theater anyway soon. Yeah, if it if Puritans. it if it doesn't stay in uh, IMAX long, I know, right? How hipster of me. Totally not my usual mo. Um, <laughs> but all that to say is that me watching it in IMAX was an interesting experience because I managed to get the furthest seat away that I could get from the screen was in row D, which is it's kind of like more towards the front and. It was a little bit more off to the side and the picture looked great and the sound and everything was awesome and like just the theater experience was amazing like there wasn't anybody who was a fucking asshole like pretty much we'll get to your experience too i guess mine's not mine's not terrible but it definitely there's yes there's something to say about it um but all that being said I felt like I had to kind of pick and choose where I was looking at on the screen because it was so fucking massive and because I was like yeah. kind of close to it. 
Like I wasn't the closest I could have possibly been, but I was like nearish the front. That's what I had to do with Top Gun when we went and saw it, Maverick. Mm-hmm. Like we were in row B, like in the middle oh, of it, oh, and I wow. was like, I'm like, we're on a thrill ride right now, <laughs> and I was like, I can't just soak in the whole screen. Yeah, I couldn't either, and it took me probably. 20 minutes to a half hour to really get used to how it looked because yeah the way it was framed in the where like the position that i was sitting in it was almost kind of skewed a little bit like it just the perspective was just kind of off yeah so i want to watch it again in a better seat to get a better perspective of it because like visually the whole time i'm watching this movie i'm just like whoa I'm I I real I'm looking at like three different angles like at the same time trying to take everything in and it's cutting from like scene to scene back to back yeah with like this music continuously going on and everything's just going and I had to try to catch up with things that are happening in this oh, movie dude, like if, it felt like I was at a running pace with this film if you have to be like you have to be one of my biggest problems that I had so my viewing experience I went to the Grand Haven Nine and. You know that that I love that theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's right down the road from me. You know, and it's generally not too bad. And I was I was kind of nervous that there would be a lot of people. And there was a five forty five showing. It was, I think I was the first one in there. If not, there was like one other set of people in there, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all the old people started coming in droves. Oh boy. We have we we probably had about twenty five of us in there, with eighty percent being over the age of seventy five, which made me concerned with the film itself. Yeah. So I was like. This isn't the people that I talked to that said I've wanted to see this. Well, a lot of people probably met Oppenheimer there. It, dude, it like, oh, yeah, people were like, so I sat like where the bar is at, you know, and, and the first problem was that there was like a, a couple that came in there and they were sitting there talking the whole time. They actually ended up being quiet, which I was very happy about. And then you had uh, a kid that, a high school kid that brought his grandma to see, and I was like, oh, that's a cute date night, you know, like I'm very, dude, she was fucking like, not talking the whole time, just at points would just be like, "Oh, can you believe that?" You know, oh, like, yeah, just make of, exclamations. Yeah, like the old person, like watching it at home, like talking to who's ever around, or just oh wow, that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Or by themselves, like when they're watching something that blows their mind, you know. So she did that. It's like doing that half the film, and I just kept being like, "Jesus Christ, lady!" Like, <laughs> no, the like, but the best part, she fell asleep. <laughs> So, after, so she's sitting there going like, wow, that's awesome. Not then, only was she able to do it fucking consciously, but unconsciously. <laughs> she just started snoring. And I'm like sitting there, and I was like, I don't know if oh, that's part no. of the film. Because it got to a low point where they were kind of talking about some serious stuff. Uh-huh. And I don't know if like it was Leslie Groves fucking with them or whatnot. And then I realized, like, she's sleeping. And then there was a spider or something that got right into the middle of the screen. Oh, no. So it's just this giant, this little dot that's just sitting up there, but you can't, it's right in the fucking middle of it. That's distracting. So, like, I'm trying not to, and it's in black and white, so when they do that, like, you can't see it, and I'm like, I don't know if that's just part of the film. Like, if they, like, something got hit with the film itself. (laughs) They put a spider post-production in there. I don't know. I just, it was, like, one of those things. So, anyways, um, that that was about it, and that was, like, the only only bad thing that kind of, but it's, it was enough to kind of, and like you said, you're sprinting alongside this car the whole time. If you stop to catch your breath or like, you know, like, hey, oh my God. It's going to leave it? you behind. Oh, big time. Yeah. So uh, anyways, we're like, we're, that's we got, funny because someone, someone fell asleep at a Mission Impossible yesterday and uh, they started snoring. Yeah. I know someone her had name to, too. <laughs> someone had to like, ru- like brush them up and be like, hey, wake <laughs> up, man. 
<laughs> wake up twice in in one year that I've been to the theater and someone's fallen asleep and started snoring. The first one was Bo's Afraid. I've got you beat. And then the second one is uh, <laughs> oh really? Well, yeah, I, any movie I go to see with someone, it's always kind of like oh yeah, with um yeah. Jasmine. I yeah. gotcha, gotcha. She's the she's the uh, you know the experience for you. Um, so yeah, Oppenheimer. It's a big movie. It's a heavy movie. Yeah. It is. Um, it's a bomb of a film, not in the bad sense, but like it's just heavy and it's a lot. It's a it, lot to take. It in. really is. So, um, one of the first things is kind of funny is as I'm watching this, we went golfing with my dad before the diaper party, and uh, he was talking about me and Sam were talking about some film that you know whatever, and he goes, "Oh my god, I'd put that on all the time on half days." You know, like that was my film to go to. Kind of has some subject matter that relates to what we're teaching or just being in the class itself, and we could put. I'm watching this thing, and after the first thirty minutes, I was like, "What teacher calls dibs on showing this to their class?" <laughs> right. You know, like this is a movie where if you're fifty and you have a rainy day, and it's like we're getting the projector on to show. The science teacher showing it, the government, someone the showing history this teacher. film. Yeah, and like you know, someone has to call dibs on it uh-huh. because like you can't watch it in three other classes. So like that's kind of like how this the whole story gets portrayed. So I'll just say, I kept my expectations low, mm. but my whole thought was that this was leading up to the bomb. So. As we said, spoilers, you get to see a bomb go off. I think he like he, they built a bomb. I don't know if it was necessarily a nuclear bomb, so, but it was something of the magnitude. So I read about it, and what happened was he used a myriad of different explosives to create the effect, and then he he uh, played around with the scaling of it, kind of like Lord of the Rings. Okay. So it was made to look a lot bigger than it actually was, but he used enough explosives to give it a sort of nuclear bomb sense so yeah, like kind of like the magnitude of the bomb the, the magnitude force, whatever you the want. shock wave yeah. the whole like mushroom cloud thing mm-hmm. and of course the sound design helps a lot with that too oh dude that like it, the sound design in this movie alone is just insane dude fuck the score and the sound design fantastic absolutely like, like, this probably is, the best part of the film so i've talked to people about this and and you know um I'm like, when you talk about a Nolan film, I'm like, in terms of like just the entertainment value and all that, I'm like, I don't know. It, it's not quite there, in my opinion, with everything else. In terms of filmmaking, I was like, this might be one of his best films. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like it really, to me, if compared to Tenet, his last movie, it yeah. really feels like he stepped up his game with the filmmaking specifically. Yeah. And, and like, getting creative with it and like creative with it, everything going into it, like the music, fucking uh, Ludwig Gorenson, who did yeah. the music. Like, absolutely incredible. And it just plays throughout. And it kind of helps give that sense of, oh, this car's going. You got to keep up with it. If you fall behind, it's going to fucking leave your ass. And I kind of like that about the film. I like that it gives you that sense of fucking urgency throughout it. It reminds me of the Batman when we talked about that one. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's just constantly music playing in it. But it's like all this, like techno ominous vibing music that has to keep you engaged with it because like if you're not like we talked about thinking of the batman and all the action that goes along you're gonna get taken out Mm. and this film it felt like the score was keep like keeping you in it because of the subject matter and what was being talked about but it's done in a way that really portrays like the emotions killian murphy's going through yeah you know and it it 
even if it's swooping or if it's pulsating or whatever, like it, it helps with the vibe of what's going on and lets you know almost like subconsciously like, hey, this is kind of like an ominous part of the film or mm-hmm. no, like he's not really sure what he's getting into or, hey, he knows what he just did. And now like now you're you're in his brain with them. You yeah, know? I was reading about um, Ludwig Gorenson making the the soundtrack and the the theme specific to Oppenheimer as a character mm-hmm. and how he explained how he wanted it to be very string heavy uh, a lot of violins and he wanted it to give a sense of a scene could go from uh optimistic and hopeful to sort of uh, in almost like a kind of horror movie type way yeah. like a, like a dour sort yes. of like unyielding scary type of tone yeah it, it could you just open a door and you don't know what you're getting into like the character goes through a realization and you can just you realize when the music just kind of dips into something a little bit different and then it just keeps on going with it yes and i really like that about this for movie. the most part like sometimes that'll take me out because i hate directors tell me like this is how you're supposed to feel or yes. really adding on to but it with this one it really helps because he's so fucking even keeled mm-hmm. you know i mean that's just what happens when you're in charge of your emotions constantly and you understand what you're going through and with you know and and this sort of like you know in his mindset i mean anything he can conquer he's the smartest guy in in his you know to himself in the world i'm it's funny that you bring up the batman because with that movie i feel like i really had an issue with that kind of thing specifically where the music was trying to tell me how to feel especially towards the end with the yes it, not no yes. spoilers for the batman but right. like the bike scene yes um this movie it definitely was a lot more earned and just yeah it meshed super well with the camera work and it ate, yeah the acting and the line delivery like killian murphy's voice in this movie is so good and he, I wouldn't be surprised if he's nominated for best actor in a leading role. He, I, me, I would not be shocked either. I thought he, I thought he did a really good job. Um, His eyes were so piercing, <laughs> it's just so bright blue. Well, he's got, you know, he's carrying the weight of the world on his, on his, like, everywhere he goes. Mm-hmm. Like I was talking to Sam about this, and uh, Sam had a lot of conflicting thoughts with where i was at but we 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 lined up with some so i like you'll kind of hear me talk about this stuff and maybe you might not know where i'm going with my score um but like he he wasn't too impressed with him you know he said he was all right he was good and i'm like interesting well you know and i i, I kept making the point i was like dude like he he's doing something that's going to change mankind like you don't really there aren't a lot of people in this world for good or for bad you know that you in a in that sense have done that Mm -hmm. you know like hitler is close to where what killian murphy was doing like you know and i'm like you know you think nasa but even we've progressed uh, they've tried to the space program so i mean like you know there's there's been a couple people that landed on the moon or 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 change you know i don't even know like change currency overthrowing a government like that all affects society but in the long run like history it won't rewrite the books where this like rewrote the fucking books, mm-hmm. you know, and it changed how the world worked. And yeah. And he's, he's the one that's got to see enough into the future to recognize like, what am I doing now? How's that going to impact 30 years from now? Mm-hmm. And even he couldn't do it. And I think he brought up a couple things that weren't invented till like the sixties or seventies with what his kind of thoughts and ideas were going with stuff. But like, you know, it, I, I think it's very hard to like 
as a person understand that weight, the gravitas. Oh, you yeah. Know? Like, how do you, you're one of one. It's funny because there's a lot of people online, it's kind of along that same thought process where they, they view Oppenheimer as a giant hypocrite because he's the one who made the bomb. He's the one who had the key role in developing it and really going about like the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. But then he comes and turns around to regret his decision. And then all of a sudden people like to comment on it saying, oh, well, if you regret it so much, you shouldn't have made it. It's like there's sometimes things you don't realize until it's too late, obviously. And a lot of what this movie wanted to touch on and that I think did it in a successful way, and especially after I read about it, is they wanted to make it feel like Oppenheimer as a character has the quickest turnaround from patriotism and pride and a sense of accomplishment to absolute dread fear for the future and just complete uncertainty as to what the atomic bomb was going to do for humanity and it does it really well with that fucking speech scene that he gives oh yeah like probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie he has no idea what like to even say you know Mm -hmm. the war the war's ended it's kind of like one of those things where it's like Oh, I yeah, we did it, and then you just think at what cost, and then like all of a sudden you hear about the damage, the destruction, people, kill, and like you just got to think like, oh shit, you know, like mm-hmm. you can only theorize so much. That was like one of the things that they would always talk about, and it's it, you can only until it becomes application, it's only theory. So you really don't know. Like when they hit that button, you don't know if that bomb's going to go off or not, or what it's going to do. Yeah, you know, and that's a lot of that. A lot of this is like you don't know. Which is maybe kind of funny, like if you think about it, with Newton's Newton's laws that you know every action has an equal and opposite reaction. A lot of the time, like you can guess or assume by applying math to what that reaction is. With this one, you can't. Mm-mm. And a lot of these things that happen, there's a lot of we don't know what that next step will look like because once we take it, we're really just going into the darkness. And there's not really any going back from it. No, either. I I I liked it. I I really liked the end of the film. And I thought it was a little cliche, but like when he's talking to Einstein, you know, and that was one of the things that they talked about was like it could set the atmosphere on fire and and destroy humankind as we know it. Mm -hmm. And he says, like, I think that's what I did, you know, but some of the some of the uh, other arguments I have that I, I, I thought the purpose of doing was he did think that this would solve the like any sort of world war. Like you will have disputes and wars that are very isolated. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like I was about, like it, like after this one, we had you had the Korean War, which I'm not you know I'm not a history buff, so don't sit here and but the Vietnam War, which is very political. Then you had the Iraq War, the Afghan. Like not a lot of parties are getting pulled in. You're not having five countries team up and say we're taking down these three countries, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. So like that was one of the things he talked about was he thought this would solve the war of wars but he didn't he couldn't forecast people you know and then he goes and talks to truman and truman's like i got all the power now son of a bitch like thanks <laughs> yeah. like see you later get this cry baby out of my office yeah <laughs> like and then like that's when he kind of realizes like i'm not in control of this anymore and i don't know what this could do because really like i gave everyone the answer to stopping this mm-hmm. stuff and now it sounds like we're going to use it in the other way yeah which is like you can't how do you theorize that? Like, what do you, you know, it's like, well, we just got to hope that if we flip the coin, it lands on hats. Yeah. I was reading about how Killian Murphy commented on Robert J. Oppenheimer, 
J. Robert Oppenheimer. J. Robert Oppenheimer. Oh, Kyle, you're so... Oh, my God. You can't get it? Wow. <laughs> What's the J for? Uh, Julius. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> right? Fucking dweeb. Um, no, I was reading about uh, how he views the character, and I think, obviously, in, in a lot of different ways, the real-life person, as being naive in the way he thought that nuclear power and the atomic bomb would be used and would be handled and would just be thought about in the general human consensus because you put that much faith in people it's not going to end well yeah and the movie kind of does end on like that more dour note and it shows like the earth's atmosphere catching on fire and it's like it leaves you with that and it's like shit this could actually take place and and just destroy everything you know so there's that i don't know like cause i i have that thought and then i'm like well shit he he projected there would be like an international nuclear peace treaty that would form about which has happened i mean it's mm-hmm. like i think everyone knows like if we start just pushing buttons like that's why it's changed like if we start push, pushing buttons and try to control land like this all goes to shit like let's start like focusing on money and how we can help each other make more money or steal money whatever yeah you know so like he he forecasted that and i think that's what i that's kind of where i didn't i don't know <laughs> that was like one a little gripe i had with that how the film ended i'm like well fuck like, we're we're 77 67 years past all this happening like why are you ending it like this? We've all seen, you know, that it, it hasn't gone that way. It probably won't. I think everyone now is much smarter than they were 67 years ago in understanding what that does lead to, mm-hmm. you know? I think Chris Nolan wanted to leave it on a note with, like, it probably wouldn't happen, but it could happen. Like, it's something that is still a possibility. And yeah. that the fact that it is still a possibility that's should a, be something that's a little concerning. He was like the point oh 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 one percent of it igniting the Earth's atmosphere on fire, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's still a chance. And it's like, yeah, but like, in terms of probability, like, that's as high as you can get. Like, it's the Doctor Strange, you have one in a million or one in 13 billion chance. Like, great. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and then the, the, the odds of it happening have to be so astronomical in terms of any event ever ran, I, that, that's the only that's the only thing I didn't really like about it, and it it doesn't have to end on a good note with him because his life really didn't end on a great note, you know. So like I I get it felt it fit in with the tone of the film. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what did you think about the? And we kind of touched on this earlier, but like there is that quick turnaround of him having that sense of accomplishment versus that sense of dread with that um mm-hmm. that like town hall scene where he gives that speech what do you think about that because i can totally see it being a little bit more of a negative aspect of the film because people could view it and say like oh well it's they don't take time to progress it there's not really much in the way of development there like it, it feels like the character flips a switch for no reason but at the same time no there's a lot of and i'm kind of of this viewpoint a little bit more where like there is a realization that sinks in That's, and it doesn't have to be such a gradual thing. I think for a lot of people, when they go see movies, they want it to be drawn out more because they want it to feel more natural. But a lot of the times people don't work that way. Dude, that's the most natural I've ever felt a scene filled with anxiety and regret ever being. Right. Like, I've never seen... Because most of the time, like, it's in slow motion or it's drawn out or there's some sort of dialogue that's prepared you for it. Like, when he gets in there... 
and like he's just in his own headspace. Like I've been in that world before where your adrenaline is pumping so much and it's not out of like fear or nervousness. It's more so of a realization of mm-hmm. oh like fuck. Like I just did this. Yeah. Like imagine like if you were on TV and you know you you I imagine like just 13 million people watching and you did something dumb or something that you regret. You know how much would just be pumping through your veins? Because now all of a sudden, it's not just one person you're talking to thinking about it. 13 million people judging you, mm-hmm. you know? And when that hits, it's you're just in your, I, I I didn't know if he was going to finish out the speech. Like, yeah. I was, like, so, like, oh, fuck. Like, what's he going to do? Like, this just, like, he just ended the war, and he's not even, like, really even happy about it. Like, he doesn't even know what to think. Because, like, all of a sudden, like, his whole idea just came to realization, and it did end the war. But it's, like great what's next yeah you know and that's what's coursing through his veins mm-hmm. you know like, and that's i i thought it was i thought it was beautifully and elegantly done that was and i loved scene. it and they take they i love that they like they took the foot stomping leading up to pushing to the bomb yeah as part of that like that excitement of everyone's rah rah on for him and cheering for him and then they reverse it out and suck it out when he's in it and it's no longer cheering or chanting it's just him and it's only like yeah, we did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that just goes back and everyone's going nuts and you don't hear anything because that's how it goes, you know? But, dude, Mac, that scene was bad because the flags that they're waving are, oh, they have all the 50 sta- when the, we didn't have all the, fi- that our flag didn't look like that, Mac. The scenes, whole movie's ruined. I, yeah. One out of 10. Yeah. Uh, terrible. I thought it's like great uh, if they're if we're pulling quips like I'm glad that I want to get like someone that builds bombs that gets in here is like this is why that bomb's fucking fake as hell yeah right. you know and then being like oh no essentially what Oppenheimer made in this scene is just the equivalent of a giant toaster yeah <laughs> yeah like no like, I okay <laughs> cool I, man it, it, his uh just so how he is portraying everything. I mean, he did he did a really good job. I'm not taking anything away from him. I, I think I really liked him too. I my biggest thing I told you know I was talking to people about is um you know you walk into a bar and you pitch this idea and it's like if I get ten people to buy into this like I'm making it is there ten people in a bar that goes this sounds like it's gonna keep me invested and interested and it will be really exciting mm. you know like no you're not no one's hopping in on this so for for him to take these events and make it as you know, I don't, and I keep. I don't want to use the word exciting because it really wasn't. Like I don't. It's it's really well done. Well, they're captivating. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it holds you on long enough to points, but yeah. I mean, it, we'll get into the. I don't want to say the bad, but gripes I had with it. Um, cool, cool. What'd you think of? Um, I really liked Robert Downey Jr. in this movie. Like, I thought I would have more of an issue with some of the casting in this film, specifically him watching him being oh i'm not going to be able to like disassociate him from iron man like oh he's i was kind of worried that after like so long of playing that character like i wouldn't have an actor i wouldn't have been able to recognize him but thankfully that's not the case thankfully he plays this character super well have you seen earlier movies with robert downey uh shaggy dog with uh, tim allen yeah that's no that's what i'm saying dude i i've watched so I, I you know i've seen so many of the marvel fucking films dude he's in a movie um u.s marshals which isn't like a great film i it's a cheeseburger to me i love it but he, even him in that he play like he's he's a good actor is yeah. what i'm saying like he, he's a good actor so i had no fear of 
Oh, I don't doubt it. Like, yeah. I was just worried for me personally, would I be able to, like, disassociate? Prosthetics and the hair, you know, all that shit going into it. You'll be, it, like, that. But it was it was great. I yeah. thought he was excellent. He and did. He had a great, he was very, I mean, he was very, he, he did a great, great job, I'm assuming, of portraying that individual, mm-hmm. Louis Strauss. Well, I, love the, I love the way he spoke, too. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. There was a certain dialect that he had that was very fun, and, like, he kind of, he, he leaned into the role. It, it started getting more menacing as, as the movie went Which along. I did, that was one of the things i didn't like was the um, fucking you know like we're gonna do the flip the script like we gotta you have to do it in a courtroom drama but i hate when they just like that flip was more of a flip than what oppenheimer went through in my opinion you know mm-hmm. there were things like kind of leading up to it and he softballed it in there and then all of a sudden it just like boom hammer it we're on the dark side this is why we're doing it i can kind of get that there's some things about this movie that feel very a biopic e for lack of a better word, like things yes. that you would often see in yes. other biopics that you're like, okay, they gotta, they kind of gotta do this now with it, I guess. Like yes. I've seen this a thousand times before. Dude, the writing in this thing, I didn't think was all that great. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't. No. Well, it's a lot of. I love the dialogue, but the, the scene to scene. What the situations and what the scenes call scene for. Scene logistics. Scene logistics. That's what he called it. Eggers called it. Um, scene logistics. Yeah. Yes. Um, with the scene logistics and everything going on, it did feel like it was going into those territories of, like I said, stereotypical biopic. You expect these types of elements to be in this movie because of previous biopic movies that you've seen before. Yes. So it starts to become tropey a little bit of a cliche like the flip the script in the court scene or the many different turnarounds that oppenheimer as a character has in the uh meeting room like the board room where he's like being kind of interrogated and yes there's like different things that happen to where like oh it's looking to be like on his side and like oh nope it's going back down like they're really grilling him this time it's like oh yes. his wife is in but we don't expect her to do well because she's drunk but then oh she actually fucking nails it and yeah no one expected her to because she's fucking plastered and it's like well andy cheated on her with like eight different women that too yeah um (laughs) (laughs) but all that to say is that yes it does do a lot of those same things that like you would expect from like a biopic or a movie based on a real person yeah uh, they got to make it exciting somehow so they just fall back on those old reliable things yes which annoyed me yeah. Annoyed me greatly. Which I understand. I yeah. absolutely understand completely. Yeah. I don't know if it was something that bothered me as much, but I definitely recognize that it was there. Well, it's one of those things where, like, you know, tropes, cliches, everyone, you know, that, that if a good actor overcomes it, like, yeah, it fits in, but they do a good job of either redefining or just elevating, mm-hmm. which... You know, and depending on the subject matter, like, yeah, it, it, I think it all kind of, it, it all depends, right? But I don't, in this one, like, I, I just, I, I didn't feel like it did, you know? And I think that's why it stood out even more to me. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to say, too, because as we sit here and talk about it, I'm like, oh, I guess I like that, I like that. I think there was probably about three actors I really liked in this and everything else I could care less about. You know, ah, uh, four. So let me guess what they are. Okay. Uh, Killian Murphy. Yes. Uh, RDJ. Yes. Matt Damon. Yes. And Benny Safty? Oh, he was all right. And I talked I talked to some people about it and I, I I did like him and then all of a sudden I was they had a real negative thing to say about him and I was like, ah, 
um, Emily Blunt. God, no. <laughs> you didn't it's like not, Emily Blunt? It's not her fault. She just had to play. I, I really, she was typecast, and mm. I felt like she just played the drunk scorn woman. And I was like, that, she really had no depth to her character. Yeah. Zero depth whatsoever. Uh, no, do you want me to just tell you? Yes. All right. Um, oh, shit. Who was I just thinking about that popped into my head that's now gone? Josh Hartnett. Which one was he? Josh Hartnett was a professor when he first gets in there. He's like, we're separating uh, Adams. Or we're, we're doing, oh, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And he played the really, the reason why I loved him so much is because he played like the, hey, we're friends. I really respect you as a colleague, and I think you have great insights, but I don't want you bringing your political bullshit in here. Uh-huh. So, like, to separate that, like, and I, I'll protect you as best I can because I respect you and everything that you do. I don't necessarily agree with you, but, like, he was always of that vein, a lot of, like, I, very respectful. You know, mm-hmm. I kept saying respect, 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 but he did. Like, and it, it came out as genuine. Respectful, from him. but you could tell what he was feeling exactly just based on like yeah. the, the expression on his face. Well, he he came in there. He's like, hey, you know, no one says that you bring politics into the classroom, and he's like, well, I haven't joined the political party. I'm just curious in the ideas about. It. He goes, well, I don't get. Here's an idea: erase it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like. Uh-huh. But he did a really good job. Like they they remained friends, and I mm-hmm. think he even protected him in some of the hearings. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that, those those were the four that I. Anytime they were really on screen, I was like, and Killian's always on the screen, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, with regards to Florence Pugh. No, all I, right. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. You just want to skip it? No, no, um, no go ahead. Because one of my gripes. Uh, it is kind of a gripe for me because I do really like her and I think that she plays the character well, but she's not in it a whole ton, and it doesn't feel like. A lot of what she is in, it just kind of feels, I don't know, repetitive, a little bit goofy. Erotic? <laughs> right? Like uh, Fifty Shades of Oppenheimer. Oh, my God. I am. Become- Dude, I, I literally was like, I, I, Christopher Nolan had to have something with her. Or Killian wrote her in because I was like, none of this makes sense to why she has to do this. I am become death destroyer of worlds he said as she rode on top of him. <laughs> Dude, so that I was telling my um, people. That, that 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 book that she like grabs and is like, what's this? Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's like a very it's a highly regarded book in the Buddhist lifestyle, mm-hmm. and it's about self discipline and integrity, and you know, I don't want more big words than I could probably come up with. <laughs> so, it was supposed to be like, I think a little bit of a a statement about, hey, this guy is so, you know. And self-discipline isn't the right word, but highly, highly regarded in his principles and what he what he's able to come up with, right? That even she was able to like break him, mm-hmm. you know. Probably why she fucking wrote him. All of it. <laughs> she, you trim her out of that film, you save a half hour and make it a two and a half hour film. Mm-hmm. I her character felt like it really did nothing for me. I can see the importance of her though, because obviously she ties back into. The communist struggles and the accusations that he faces, which lead to a lot of the conflicts later in the movie. You don't think there's enough people in there that they don't have to have her in there? They could have gave Chevrolet a, a bigger fucking role than she. <laughs> Chevrolet. Chevrolet. Yeah, that was this guy's name. Robert Chevrolet. Was it? Oh, I thought you were making fun of Timothy Chalamet again. No, 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 no. There, dude. Are, yeah. Oh, H- Haken? Oh, Jefferson Hall. He was a guy in... Uh, uh, Black Swan, I think. Okay. Anyways, anyway, anyways, he was in Tenet as well. Oh, he must be an only guy. 
guys that are dudes. <laughs> um, <laughs> guys that are Nolan I, dudes. Hey, I don't know. It's H A A K O N. So however you want to go with that, Chevrolet. Gotcha. But he was the one that when they got, his brother brought him to the Communist Party, and he was the one that he kind of, he was like, oh, he's a he's a professor in French literature, you know, and mm. then started talking about some of the ideas. And when Oppenheimer, Emily Blunt was too drunk to take care of the kid, he's like, I'm not asking you to take the kid, but take the kid. Yeah. Don't know when I'll be back. That okay. Was, that was his. That was him. Okay. So here you go, Kyle. I just gave you a name from it, right? A guy that actually had a decent-sized role. Couldn't pick it up. How many fucking characters are in here that you could do that with? You didn't even. Josh Hartnett was in it, and it was like I don't remember his character. I still don't remember it. I think that's why I kind of want to watch it again, yes. just to really like get a better idea of what the fuck each character means. Ernest Lawrence was Josh Hartnett, by the way. Okay, what each character means and like their relation to the story and like Oppenheimer as a character. Yes. And get a better understanding of the story with it, which is why I think I don't have too much of an issue with Florence Pugh and her inclusion in the movie. I can see like how it's corny and goofy, like just the execution of it, like as she's riding on top of him and he's saying, I, I have become Death Destroyer of Worlds. But corny and goofy. It what, what did she do to progress the story? Like that she wasn't the only one that was affiliated with the, the communist party. She had sex with him two times and then she committed suicide. Yes. And it made him feel bad. And he had to tell his wife mm -hmm. like that was it. Yeah. Like I, I, I feel like it has more of a, obviously like the communist stuff, but like it has also like kind of a psychological implication on him too. just, I, yeah. I kind mean, of makes himself reflect a little bit about, I took it more as it was a look at him being a human and his faults and able to relate with sort of that mistakes that have been made mm -hmm. with certain parties. But like even at that, like come on. Yeah. I you didn't know? I didn't mind it too much really. I thought it was okay. I mean, obviously I want to see it again, but you know, get another perspective on it. Yeah. No, my biggest, um, the biggest gripe I had, and we talked about it with the Island of Dr. Moreau, is when you're introducing characters with their names, and you're expected to retain that information so that when the story progresses, you're able to pick up. Dude, I didn't know it's Chevrolet's name was <laughs> that name until the fucking last scene when they're just naming people, and uh -huh. they were showing, they'd re-go back to the characters. His name got brought up so many fucking times, and it's like... Who is this character? What one was he? I don't remember. Yeah, unless they say it repeatedly, like Levi, like uh, yeah, Louis Strauss. I almost said Levi Strauss, like the fucking jeans. Yeah. Um, unless they say it repeatedly like that, or it's an actual big historical figure that you recognize just on their own, like Einstein or fucking Truman. That's it. You're not gonna remember the name. And I, I, it's funny because I was talking to a coworker about this. Shout out to Drew. He told me that he thinks the reason that they had such an ensemble cast with a lot of recognizable people is because Nolan knew that people weren't going to be able to retain a lot of those people's names, like the characters' names. So he cast a lot of notable celebrities so that you would remember the celebrity's name at the very least. Because if he if he cast some like Joe yeah. Blow nobody, nobody's going to remember anything about him, his like actor name or character name or anything. Yeah. At the very least, you know that Matt Damon plays that guy. No, you, that's what I'm saying. You don't like, if you don't remember, <laughs> Leslie, if you don't remember, Leslie, but you know that it's Matt Damon at the very know, least. That's what I'm saying. I, I do agree with that. Cause it makes it easier when someone says 
you remember Leslie Gross was like, no, I don't. Who was it? And you go, that's Matt Damon. That's like, oh. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like the line of thinking there. I, and I understand that. And I'm not going to sit here and bastardize Nolan on this because like he, he makes these films with intent and says, either you keep up or you won't. I'm going to mm-hmm. make my fucking film, mm-hmm. you know? So it's kind of, it's put onto the audience to do it. I, I, I'm going to say this. I went into this thing thinking it was more about the construction and the building of the bomb than it was about the courtroom drama. So like, I, not to say I wasn't paying attention to names, but it's like, you don't know that a guy that gets introduced in the first 20 minutes will be brought back up in the third act with all the shit going on. Mm-hmm. You know, Rami Malek, who had an instrumental role, which shit writing for him, his name's Hill, right? Mm-hmm. They kept saying, Hill, Hill's going to defend us. Hill's going to do this. Dude, They, call, I think they call him Hill once, leading up to that point. And mm-hmm. he's only in three scenes, and one of which is Killian Murphy going, we won't need that, to an award-winning actor, by mm-hmm. the way, you yeah. know? And he just nods. And then another one is he bats it down or out of his hands. He goes... I said stop with it, you know, in a diff- completely different scene. And then it's like hill, 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 hill. And then finally he comes up there and it's Rami Malek. And I go, oh, shit. Like, I maybe I would have been paying attention to more of his body language when he was talking about it, mm-hmm. you know. Or I would have, I kind of figured, I was like, all right, who's a really, like, small ancillary character that's coming up? There? Like, that's got to happen. And I, I landed on Rami Malek, you know. And then I was like, oh, like, it could go one of two ways with it. Anyways, that's, it's. That's one of the biggest problems I have with it, and I oh, I think I have it with every film though. It's like when they don't do a good enough job uh, introducing the character, or at least having you have a purpose to remember it. Mm. Like Josh Hartnett's in this quite a bit, right? He's yeah. third or fourth build on this. Like he's probably got the fourth most screen time out of anyone, and you couldn't tell me his name was Ernest Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is like an issue. I got gotcha. you. I, I get where you're coming from. I'm also with you. I'd like to review it because I think it does help in with a little bit of the political drama going on when you actually can tie in the names and, and you can I, see where it's going. I really like the build up, just the whole kind of through line that the movie has because it feels very seamless to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like it just ebbs and flows and it doesn't really feel like it gets held up by much of anything. Right. Like you get to see all these intertwining situations, but they're told in a cohesive enough way to where you can actually follow the events going on. Even if you don't remember all the characters that are involved in their names, you can at least tell where you're at and where the events are going for the most part. Yeah. I, I'm yes. It's very, you there. I think there's an easy way to get sucked out of this thing. Mm-hmm. And if you do at any point, you're, it's almost like a vacuum in space. Like you just be fucking pulled right out yeah heaven forbid you go to piss during this film no <laughs> no that was another thing too they got to the bomb and i i, I kind of had to go not enough to where i was like you know but i'm like i don't think i want to miss anything right now um what do you think the, about the runtime i wanted to ask the three hour long like i said florence Pugh, her that whole her whole thing could have got trimmed and i would have been fine that's 15 minutes right there of shit that was just like whatever mm-hmm. you know um some of the stuff with like some of the political workings like it's it felt a little drawn out and it felt like because of the writing it it really this is what i think i think i read somewhere that no one got handed this book read it fell in love with it was like i really would like to make a movie about this like what happened Mm -hmm. you know and i think he tried to cram as much as he possibly could to be uh have an accurate portrayal of this guy's life and maybe how he viewed or his perspective on how hop and iver must have felt you know, with all of this going on, yeah. right? So it is, 
in terms of a three hour film, about as tight as you could get. Like it, it, it goes by pretty well. Yeah, I mean there are, like I said, I mean I have I because I'm also voicing the opinions of others. You know, there's there's that side of if you get sucked out, it's really long. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you know, and for me. There were times when it was really long and there were times when it wasn't, you know. I don't think I really needed – I didn't need to see him try to kill the professor at the beginning. I didn't need to see him talk to Kenneth. Um, I forgot that he was in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I didn't need to see him meet the German scientists. Like, they're all kind of, like, leading up. Like, they could have easily did that with Strauss meeting him at Princeton or Cornell. Mm-hmm. And great view, isn't it? You know, yeah. and then them walking to meet Einstein and going over like, "Hey, didn't you meet so and so? Haven't you? You've talked with so and so." And then him kind of going, "Yes, in a brief time." You know, he's a, and that's it. Five minutes of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this thing could have got trimmed, is what I'm saying. I, and I think that the parts that could have got trimmed were the ones that we really didn't need. One of the things that kind of threw me off, and it's kind of a smaller thing, but it's like, oh, this feels, this doesn't feel too natural to me. Is um, towards the end when Louis Strauss finds out that he didn't make cabinet and he wants to know who voted against him. And one of his advisors says, oh, some up and coming congressman from Massachusetts goes by the name of Kennedy. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, really? You're going to like do a fucking Avengers teaser in a Christopher Nolan movie? With, I don't even know. What they with te- JFK? <laughs> you think Nolan's going to become like this historian buff now making probably 200 million i don't think so but it to me it felt like i feel like this scene would have been like in a marvel movie sam will be happy to hear that he had the same gripe and it's kind of funny to me that it's robert downey jr being told this dude (laughs) with how the scene plays out i'm telling you man no one i the filmmaking was superb but his the writing of the stuff is just some of it is questionable i need to rewatch it i think it's something that i don't entirely I shouldn't say like I don't have an opinion on it because I do, but it's one of those things where like I think I just need to watch it again in order to like really cement my feelings on it because I like how it flowed. I love the filmmaking and I thought all the acting was great for the most part. Mm-hmm. Just all in all, really compelling to me. Like, oh, yeah. Even if I couldn't really follow along with all the characters and like some of the writing was a bit tropey it was enjoyable enough for me and the filmmaking was impressive enough for me to kind of make up for those things yeah and if i see it a second time those things could get in the way more or mm. i could maybe not notice them nearly as much i think it aids the film when you have a base foundation of what's going on mm-hmm. and you're able, now that you like when you like oh that's so and so now when they bring up those names in conversation it's easier to follow events and it's like you were saying like events that take place but like when they talk about an event within an event take that's what i wanted to know more about or remember who affected what or the conversations that were had or how is this tied in um but yeah no without a doubt i just dude like the robert uh kennedy thing uh rami malik pretty much going like if no one's followed along yet strauss is bad oppenheimer is good he got robbed <laughs> strauss is the one don't al- you know like i was like why the fuck like you've taken us this far and then you just do that mm-hmm. you know and i felt bad for rami malik i'm like oh he's the one that's got to do this mm-hmm. you know so that's what i'm saying i i think the filmmaking took more precedent over the 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 writing did you know and it was kind of it was written to a point where he had to i don't think you're wrong and he had to take an effect that this is probably going to be some people are going to watch this and not be able to follow it so we have to have points and tropes built in so that way 
even without the dialogue, you understand what it, where it's going and mm-hmm. who's good and bad. You know, and that's why, and that's why it just kind of. To some, sometimes it annoys me, and this one it, it annoyed me a little bit, and yeah. it, it, and I don't, but I don't fault him necessarily because of what he's trying to get across and and show us. It's so fucking profound. Mm-hmm. It's you're teetering a line, you know. Like how do you? I don't. I'm trying. I don't. I could, I don't know if I could think of something else that's happened that had had that much change on humankind and being like, well, we're gonna we're gonna film it. Without it having like you know a lot of a lot of, of a political mess going on, a lot of ideas being floated around with really zero to no action. Like, hey, we're gonna make a film about NATO being formed. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> how exciting does that sound? Are you looking forward to it? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's hard to kind of keep up that pace, but he does it in this film really well. Like, that's the one thing I don't I don't think at all this thing lets down. I think the only time it really lets down is if you get sucked out a little bit, mm-hmm. and then it can be, and then it can, and then because now you're looking for those points, and then they're really highlighted because you need to be told that's this is a good part, and when you're told that, you get annoyed because you're, but you've already also put yourself in the spot to not be able to foul, mm-hmm. you know. So I got to see a little bit of both because I caught up at some points, and some points I was sucked out, and like I was like still trying to like the name thing bugged me so much. I completely understand that. Yeah. Um, I think we can start wrapping up. One thing that I did want to mention before we get into ratings. Yes. Uh, so the film prides itself. Christopher Nolan prides himself on not using any CGI in this <gasps> film. Uh-oh. And this movie, when it was shown in other countries, when Florence Pugh was laying there naked with her with her boobies hanging out, they CGI'd a black dress over Florence Pugh. Really? Yeah. See through? No, it's like a completely black dress. Like it might as well have been a black bar that's wow. just covering her. Let me see if I can find it and I can show you. If you're listening to the video version of this on YouTube, I'll try to include a picture. Oh yeah. Uh, because I think is that, it wildly distracting or is it? Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I don't think there's a video of it out. It's just a picture. Yeah. There's a still. Someone grabbed it. Yeah. Because they're illegally filming this film in the theater. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, Black dress Oppenheimer. Yep. Uh, yeah. There it is. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. That's really. It almost just looks like a black blanket that's just covering her. It's not bad though. I mean that. It, well, I don't know how it looks in motion. It a could silk. It, that's what I. Well, it could yeah. totally just be like the jankiest thing ever. But yes, it, yeah, I'm I, sure Christopher Nolan's happy about that. Oh, he's thrilled. He's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I was worried think about this. Scene. They'd have to. He'd have to be in talks with that part of like, uh, or not necessarily him, but like, I don't well, know maybe how not. that. I guess it's just up to the government. I don't know how that works. I don't because either. sometimes other countries just meddle with the content of film and try to pass it off. I and bet you they no one told him, and he just is. Whatever, dude. He's swimming in a fucking he probably sea doesn't, he, of hundred dollar yeah. bills. He said, "As long are the, are they are is the movie making money?" Uh, <laughs> yes, Mister <laughs> Nolan is. Uh, the, 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 why the fuck do I care? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, just made a film about some fucking nerd building the bomb, and it's going to be bigger than Avatar. Yeah, and we're worried about boobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get the shit I out did, of my face. I definitely, dude, I'm not going to lie. I definitely felt like Alfred Hitchcock sort of uh, tone there. I'm like, I don't know who, like, why this is in here. Mm-hmm. But when they get into the one hearing and she just is on top of Killian Murphy, and I'm like, 
this doesn't fit in with anything at all. Like yeah. it wasn't like I was uncomfortable or anything. I think I was just more annoyed of like I don't know what type of grab we're going for because like it doesn't fit in with anything. And then she's just staring at Emily Blunt, and it's like at no point was Emily Blunt ever part of the perspective of killing like you know Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Like we we know how she's feeling. I don't know if we need to have her like Florence Pugh wink at her and see her like totally distraught. Like yeah, it just felt it felt tasteless she just flips her off gives her the middle finger might as well have <laughs> and then i was like sitting there saying you know people made a good point uh i was, I was like could you imagine like they call it killian murphy all right florence hop in here and like they're just doing the scene and that's going on mm-hmm. i was like how awkward is that for her i mean it felt totally shameful yeah you know but he i think what ha- they probably did it and then they cgi'd him in yeah or edited him into the film because you can't cgi Right. None of that here. Unless you're in China. Then yeah. go for it. Uh what would we rate this? You're I guess first. I'm first, yeah. Uh honestly, like this was really enjoyable for me. Uh I love the through line of it. It flowed really well. The pacing was great. Uh even if like this a lot of the character names I couldn't remember uh and keep track of all that well. I think that the events and the way they're portrayed and the acting is just really great to kind of make up for it. Uh, great music. Love the way it looks. This is a 9 out of 10 for me. Hmm. So, <laughs> me and, I'll, I'll say, me and Sam, because I'm going to have this on record now. We're opposite. We did find a lot of overlap with some of our views on it. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I won't give a score. I don't know. I don't want to shame him on this thing. And he, he he'll stand up for it. I mean, he did it throughout the weekend so i'll go over mine okay uh, i did not like the writing uh some of the character stuff that was going on it wasn't it's just hard to keep up with events um filmmaking stunning that i was so looking forward to the bomb and it did not let down thought the score did i say score the sound design was fantastic i mean this oh, is yeah. like i said i think this is his best shot film i gave this a nine out of ten mm. because i I as it's much not what I expected. I know that's why I keep telling people too, because like I and like you, you'll hear the gripes about it, but that doesn't like. So when I give out my scores, like I'm not gonna take away stuff just because I found one problem with the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you have to encompass all of the film within itself. Of course, the Florence Pugh shit. Yeah, I mean, like I, I could have gone without it, but it didn't. It didn't take away from the film. I'm not like that ruined it. She was bad. I mean, she did a great job. Mm-hmm. You know, so. I, I think on a second viewing, this would probably really solidify my nine out of ten. That's why I want to watch it again because I do like court. I like courtroom dramas. I love I love being able to uh, take in certain uh, elements and pit them against each other. Like I mean, the whole science versus politics, science versus um, nature, science versus God. You know, we're talking about and something so profound of what he did that has changed the world. It was done in a really. It was done in a great lens. You know, and I don't. That, that's why I don't have any issues with it. I like the actors. I just felt like, for me, if I knew what actor they were talking about, I would have been able to see their motivations a lot better, mm-hmm. and it would really help me out to understand what their angle was. And I think that's what takes it away. But like, without the, I mean, the film itself is just about you know Prometheus changing the world. Yeah, and they did a great job of it, and you you feel it for killing as he goes along and i mean like i said i got done and i was like i got a wikipedia this because i'm really fascinated you yeah know? that's that's one thing too that i i didn't mention but that i also really love and you kind of touched on it too 
when you were just saying it is um the opposing elements mm-hmm. the science versus art science versus god the different sort of myth- mythological elements that are sprinkled throughout it yeah obviously the reference to prometheus and i just thought that was really well handled too they he does it in a good touch i mean like i'm saying like it's not like the writing isn't all bad like i'm not like this writing sucks from fucking start to finish there's just certain like points that i'm like oh my god but it's it's a three-hour film that's why i think i think this would for me would have been a really high like this is closer to an eight i had it at an eight and i was like I don't know. I'm going to be talking about this and thinking about this thing, and I'll probably watch it again, you know? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I bet you this could be a film that at some point I'm like, I just watched from minute mark 36 up into minute mark an hour 58, yeah. you know? And I think that's a – usually if you find some really good stuff in films like that, they sit high on my rating. Um, you know, and I, I, I just think on a second view, it to do much better. So I don't remember where I was going with that, but that's what I have. Well, there we go. Yeah, and that was our Oppenheimer discussion. And speaking of discussion, we got an important discussion oh, to have. Oh, dude, I'm stoked! So we didn't get any questions or uh, answers for a question I posed, which is fine. You know, it's cool. It's yeah, all right. I'm it not. Happens. I'm not angry at you guys. You know, eh, maybe step up your game a little bit sometimes, but eh, you can't help it. Hey, you, we can pivot. You get you get tired. You get you, sometimes you don't want to do the heavy lifting. You give it to us, and that's okay. We got you covered. Love it because we decided instead to do a top five list of guys who are dudes. Yes, and this is something that we've referenced before multiple times. Always something that we've talked about constantly. Dude, and, there's probably like three guys that could be honorable mentions just in Oppenheimer alone. Oh, probably. You know, uh, I'm thinking of one right now, and um. I might actually put him in a ancillary slot now that I'm thinking about it. Ooh. But basically what this means is we each made our own individual lists of top five guys who are dudes, meaning we take actors that we think are great actors that don't necessarily get the mainstream limelight or uh, are kind of underrated yeah. in terms of like the audience perception of them. Yeah, not so the way I would describe it, is if you were in a conversation with, you know, a film, someone that likes film, not necessarily an avid film watcher, and you were to drop the name, would they recognize that person right away? Or would you have to name another film that they've been in to give them, to help them out to understand who they are? Mm-hmm. You know, and not, and, and a little bit more goes into it, but that, that's probably the best way to describe it. Cause I think a lot of household names, you could find a moviegoer that you could drop that name and say, you know brad pitt blah 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 and they go oh yeah like i loved him you know but then you can name and they go well what what what's he been in now what where where was he at Mm -hmm. you know yeah and who the fuck cares if they appreciate it or don't like that guy it don't matter because it's not one of their guys that are dudes right it's our guys that are dudes yes and we're gonna go over our guys that are dudes so did you want to go first and read through your whole list and then we can go to mine you go first I think we got to go one by one. One by one? Yeah, you go You go your five and then my five. The only reason why I want to go last is because, I mean, it's kind of my list. So I go through my whole list and then you go through your whole list? No, no, no. Or you we go, take turns. You name your number five guy. Number five guy. Okay. Yeah. So And you can just look at it and then just pick a guy. Because I don't remember if you told me that you got a... I don't really have any particular order. Yeah. So... Just look at it and pick out the number... Who's right. your least favorite, most favorite guy on there? <laughs> well, 
Well, the lowest one I have right now, because I, I have six of them listed. Yes. So hold this off is, on the hold off on the honorable mention just in case I swipe one. Okay. So the one on the lowest of the top five, uh, I've got Paul Dano. Ooh. Paul Dano, I think, is a really good guy that's a dude. Yeah. Like everything I've seen him in has been really great. He's like an awesome supporting actor. Uh the only really main thing I've seen him in, like he's played the main character, Swiss Army Man, and he's great in that. Right. But that's a movie that not a whole lot of people are exposed to. Right. And I think that he just has an incredible ability to captivate me. Yes. Whenever I watch him in a film. I think that's a good that's a good call. I'm I'm really interested to see to hear your guys. Um I'm interested to hear your guys, guy. Dude. You know what? So um yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off. I'm gonna hold off on. So I, I'm not gonna have a five A five B. I got I got five. Um, I guess I'll do my honorable mentions when we're done. Okay. Uh, right, so number five for me, Jesse Plemons. Oh, that's a good pick. I don't think he's been in anything that's. He's been in some mainstream stuff. Uh, one of the things that I talked about um, as we were, I was trying to figure that out this and having the help from others was uh, Oscar nominations. You know, if they've received had an Oscar nomination, I don't really think that an Oscar nomination puts you into a list acting. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are times when you stumble into a good role. Yeah. Now, if you have a couple nominations, obviously the Academy and one of my guys had to get left off because of that, and I still don't agree with it. But, <laughs> um, uh, you know, if you've been nominated for one film, like you've had one good film, right? Um. You get a little bit of recognition. Yeah, but anything that Jesse Plummet, like, he's in, like, you you know you're going to be in good hands, mm-hmm. and he's going to do a pretty bang-up job getting the point across. Yeah. You know? The only thing I would say about Jesse Plummet is I really like him as an actor, and I think he plays the roles that he's given excellently. Mm-hmm. All that to say is I don't think I've really seen him in a lot of stuff that has a ton of range. Like... It, to me, he plays a lot of similar characters, and he's, he's a, very good at playing those characters. Yeah. But there's not a whole lot in like I don't know if I'll ever see him play like a a, a super villain, you know, or like we a drug dealer, or like a I, well, I guess drug dealer would be a bad example because of Breaking but he's bad. played so like but, um, <laughs> like he, like he was he was in Fargo, mm-hmm. you know, he he's been in The Power of the Dog. He was in... Um, I'm thinking of ending things. I'm thinking of ending things, right? He was in um, uh, Game Night, which he was fantastic in. And then he was in a horror film called Antlers. So, I mean, he he, he plays a certain character, but it, it he definitely fits his characters to the tone of the film. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, Game... Dude, ga- the reason why I actually put him on here is because he's the best part of Game Night. Like, game Night's a comedy, and he was the funniest part in Game Night, and he only had three minutes. Have you ever seen Game Night? No. It's one of the... Yeah. I get what you mean, though, to your credit, because even though they're kind of similar characters in uh, in Breaking Bad, it's very mm-hmm. it's a very kind of different sort of character versus what he plays in I'm Thinking of Ending Things yeah. versus what he plays in uh, Power of the Dog. Like Dude, it, he's not. Yeah, he's not very robust with what he does. He plays a very soft character, but they have all different motivations. Yes. Yeah. 
yeah. different flavors of the same sort of food. Right. So, and I'm not going off and saying that the like these guys aren't going to be like rangy. Act, like it's just I know that when what they do, they do really well. So they and could that's be a one totally trick. fine with me. Yeah, they could be a one trick pony. They could they could be a very, you know, one guy. I, I'll bring his name up too, and I'll see if he could have made the list. I don't think he could have, but mm. like I definitely he would have been my rangiest guy. Okay, so I guess it's my turn again. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next one that I have is Donald Gleason. Donald Gleason. Yes, I really like Donald Gleason. He's yeah, because I was looking at his dad at getting on here, and I was trying. I was like, "What's his son's?" And I keep. I always get his son mixed up with another guy. Like, it's kind of, it's almost kind of similar to Jesse Plemons for me, where like he plays very kind of similar type characters, but the situations that those characters are in and like the different sort of uh, kind of events that take place with those characters is like he plays them very well yeah like ex machina he's great in yes i love him in the revenant like i think yes. he's kind of underrated in the revenant just because I think he's underrated in a lot of the films he he's fantastic yeah like uh about time mm-hmm. the the time romantic travel romantic comedy, comedy yeah. movie like he's awesome in that one frank we watched yeah. him in Frank. Like he's, he plays that character. He plays that type of character very well in yes. those movies. And he's like, he's also like a lot older than he looks. Like he's in his forties, and he looks like he could still be in his early thirties. Yeah, probably helps out with his uh, acting choices. I think I think so. He kind of <laughs> he's prone to playing those kind of like worst, geeky character type of. But worse dudes. Worst movie that he ever got put in and i feel bad that like he he took it just for the paycheck i have to imagine the star wars stuff yeah he got he got thrust into like the role of the really trying to be a menacing general or mm-hmm. something like that and he he's not he's not very that's not his world yeah he's actually in what would be funny was he's actually in dread he is with he's like a he's like a meek little uh yeah. henchman character that's and on the computer he's fantastic mm-hmm. he's like one of the he's he's a very recognizable character from that film yeah i haven't seen his star wars stuff so luckily I'm, I'm not tainted by uh yeah <laughs> i felt bad for him because like they, they they're like like we're trying to be self-aware so we're gonna be self-aware this is gonna be really funny you know and so he's got all the jokes to do it mm. And it's like you <laughs> just doesn't work. He's a fucking he's a he's a villain general. You know, like you can't be humorous while you're trying to be menacing. Yeah. So, anyways, so you got you got Damo. It's funny because I it, th- these are gonna pair up well. Uh, mm. My number four is Scoot McNary. Okay. He is. In, I think I've. Uh, I, I know he's in Killing Them Softly. I yeah. That might be the only thing I've seen him in. Frank. Oh yeah, he's uh he's the, uh, he, he's he's the, the drugged out freaking manager that's like we're making fifty bucks a night, you know everything it costs us uh, it costs forty bucks to drive here and go there. Yeah, okay. He, he is also so he's in Argo. Here's how I like this. I is haven't what, seen Argo in so long. He's in he's in a movie I really like called Monsters. Uh, Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, he was in, uh, I guess he was in Blonde. I don't really remember him in that. I don't remember him in that either. I uh, just remember all the fetuses. Yeah. So I'm trying to go through. I'm trying to see. Like I've seen he a was, lot of. He was fetus number two. He was in. Uh, he was in Fargo, um, Gone Girl. He's just. He's in a lot of films, and you don't really recognize that it's Scoot McNary because, like, like you said, killing them softly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
He does a great job. He's an he's a he's a I hope I'm right. An Irish actor, Scottish, Scottish actor. McNary sounds like an Irish name. Irish actor, okay. Yeah. Uh, but he he does a really good job about fitting in, you know, in films. Like like I said, like if I said that to you, like you'd probably, oh yeah, like you get one, and then all of a sudden, like there's probably a couple films you've seen him in, and like just don't recognize. That I just don't remember. He was in. Uh, he was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh wow! Yeah, he played one of the bad Western guys <laughs> with Leonardo DiCaprio. I can't remember. I think he had a couple lines. He's got like a Western vibe, Scoot McNary. Yeah, well, with the yeah, with the kind like of gruff, really patchy. And, yeah, yeah, dude. He's yeah. So, anyways, he's awesome. I love him, and and sometimes he he he's usually like anything he's in. It's always within like he's ten minutes of the film, mm-hmm. but it's really good ten minutes that you can you you remember well. You know, yeah. well, I shouldn't say it like that, but that you remember. <laughs> you recognize him when he pops up, but and then you get excited and you go, "That's Scoot McNary," or you're like the old lady that goes, "Ah, yes, Plus, I know that." Points to you. His name is just fun to say. Yes, Scoot McNary. Yeah, Scoot McNary. Yeah, I <laughs> hope I'm saying it right, but yes, and, and you are saying it right. Perfect. <laughs> um, I think I am good to go next with mine. Um, kind of on the same level as Scoot McNary, I guess for you, uh, Riz Ahmed. Yes. I really like Riz Ahmed. Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal, Nightcrawler. Yeah. Oh, man. He's a great Nightcrawler. It's a great Night. I want to rewatch that movie. He hasn't been. He came I up, think that was the first movie I saw him he in. He directed an Oscar last year or produced. He, I think, directed a short film. That won. Yeah. Or maybe. I know it was or nominated. It was, I think he won it, though, because I've been like, where is he at? Yeah. He's he's really good. Um. The only thing that I've seen him in that I don't really care for is Venom, the first Venom movie. Yeah. But you can tell he's just kind of like, he's there for a paycheck. Oh, yeah. Some just of the like guys, most of the people in that movie. Don't you have a hard time like kind of picking up guys that you're like, oh, they just want money, and then they're just not in anything, and you find out they're really passionate about you know film being art and expressing like political opinions or getting untold stories out there for people to understand in different perspectives. Like mm-hmm. he he'd be a guy that if like you're like he's gonna fall off and just direct all these like really. Um, I don't want to say artsy, but like uh, movies that are, are going to change kind of like your viewing on how you see a situation. I would, I'd be like, no, I can't see that. Yeah. You know, just cause I mean, some of the stuff that I've seen him in, he was in another really good HBO miniseries, um, about a guy that gets caught up. He has a one night stand and gets wrongfully accused and he's like trying to defend himself mm-hmm. and he ends up getting a really junk lawyer who's played by, um, Jesus from the Big Lebowski. Oh, uh, John Turturro. Yeah, who could also? He could have been a guy who's a dude. Yeah, I don't know. He might have won an Oscar for something. True. I feel like he was pretty big in like the late '90s, early 2000s. He was. Yeah. Anyway, we we don't need to go down that road. We we won't go down. Honorable mention, John Turturro. Right. Uh, I think you're up next. Perfect. Uh, So my number three, uh, I'm going with Kurt Russell. Okay interesting so are we specifying it to a certain decade or are we just just whole kurt russell because he was pretty big in the 80s he was with a lot of cult movies okay so i had the conversation with sam because i went kurt i said kurt russell and he goes i don't know if you can do it because he is a name that that is the one that you've read so far that i've been the most like i don't know about that right 
And I, I definitely think that there is a time and place for Kurt Russell. Now, where, where history's gone, I don't know if that name's as recognizable now. And I'm not saying, like, I want to pull up people from the 70s and start throwing them out. But, like, those prominent actors maintain that kind of pedigree. Mm-hmm. Whereas, And I'm not saying Kurt Russell hasn't. But in terms of, like, his movie success, it's always in past the fact, right? He's in, He's been in some big films, but, like, not necessarily blockbusters, all right. I mean, I was trying to. We were trying to kind of come up with some stuff where it was like, well, "What do you think he's a most most notably in?" Like, let's take uh, the Hateful Eight for example, right? Yeah. You hear Kurt Russell, you kind of have an idea. You see him on screen, you go, "Oh, that's that guy," right? And then the action unfolds, and you know, it, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, you, you talk a little bit about him. So I don't think that there's. I, I don't think he's been enough big stuff either, like recently, but also like when when he was coming out with films. Oh, it's a Big Trouble in Little China, two thousand one, but that's got to be the remastered version. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. No, <laughs> Breakdown, Executive Decision, Stargate, like Tombstone could be a, like a big one. I think he was probably first built on that, but I don't think that really stands in the the test of time. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, the thing that I. Funny enough, the thing that I usually think about when I hear Kurt Russell is the thing. Right, but then it's like name that second movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's it's mostly because like you've recommended movies for me to watch, but like I think of like all a lot of his '80s stuff. So like yeah. the thing, Escape from New York, cult movie, um, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, cult. like a lot of a lot of John Carpenter movies. Well, and I think. There a lot of movies that gain notoriety later on, which is like for me, I'm like you can't you, you can't take out that guy because at that time it wasn't that big. Mm-hmm. So like if you reflect on it, back, like probably ten years ago, like you, there'd be a lot more people that'd be like, oh yeah, Kurt Russell, you know. Where I think now he's just kind of in in a lot of stuff with the like lower, um, not, not, not I don't want to say star power, but kind of like his involvement in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like he was in he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. He was fantastic. He's only in it for four minutes. Yeah. You know? And I think that's kind of where it falls into is like a, a lot of people now would probably be like, I think I know. Isn't that the guy married yeah. to Goldie Hawn? That shit. Like the thing that I can think of most recently that he's been in is Guardians 2. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, and, even, and like the, the Netflix Christmas movies where he plays Santa. But like. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's. You know, I don't really. It's Riz Ahmed. You know, he was in a. He was the bad guy. Like it's like, oh, you, like I don't even think about him being in Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like if that. If well, if, you especially, I wouldn't expect to think about Guardians two when you hear the name Kurt Russell. Exact. That's what I'm saying. And I and, and I I can't fault him for gaining notoriety with cult classics now versus where he was at then. You mm-hmm. know, and it's I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm kind of I'm, I'm spinning this thing into a sense where it makes sense, but like I don't think he's as I think he's in our parts, especially the Neon Crew Mafia. Like, I think he's more syndicated in that than yeah. he would be just like as an average moviegoer. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's I also, talked about quite a bit in our circle. Yes, and I also want to say this too. I wasn't trying to get too hipster with this stuff. I actually wanted to pick people where I was like, I want to see movies that they're in, and I genuinely get excited because I could come up with names that would be like, oh yeah, that guy was in this, and I liked him in two other films. Mm-hmm. So, all right, I think I'm up next. My number two. Yes. This is going to be an interesting one, I think. Okay. Michael Fassbender. Kyle, I, you might have to swipe it. Why is that? 
He has been okay. So okay, I know where you're going with this. He's been in a lot of shit. No, 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 no. I love Fassbender. I had him as an honorable mention. He was oh, gonna really? be. He was gonna be my number two. Oh, yeah. That's funny because he's my number two. That's what I'm saying. Like I had him up there. There's two guys, and you'll hear who the other guy is. That's controversial. But so, like, can I make my case before you suggest a swap? Yes. I think that while he's been in a lot of shit, and he doesn't make the best movie choices, the good movies that he's in, I think he's great in. So yeah. like Inglorious Bastards, that whole fucking scene in the basement, Dude, you amazing. Don't need to pitch fast. I'm t- fast finish my guy. And of course, I Shame, to- which I watched probably like over a year ago now. Oh yeah, I absolutely love that Seen because of his performance in that movie. And uh, I think that he's almost kind of like an Idris Elba in a way where. I he's a great actor and I know he's a great actor but he just doesn't choose a lot of great movies to be in. No, I'm not, dude. I I could like I wa- I watched The Counselor. <laughs> like I'm I was I dude, I was high on so since Inglorious came out, I've been really I've loved him or and he's in 300. Mm-hmm. Saw Shame with him. There's another uh movie directed by um God, did you say I can never remember his name and he shares the same with someone else. Um Hunger Okay. Um, Prometheus. No, the reason why I took him off, and I, 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 it was the hardest one to do because I really feel like there's an argument because I don't think you could walk up to people and say Michael Fassbender. They'd be like, "Oh yeah." So he's been in three X Men movie, right? Yeah. Playing second bill. Mm-hmm. He's been nominated twice for Academy Awards. All right, and then what really got me, and this is what I said, all right, I can't, all right? He was in Assassin's Creed. Now, yeah, Assassin's Creed wasn't great. I, I haven't seen it, so it might be great. I don't know. I don't think it is. Okay. The budget for Assassin's Creed was? Uh, is this where I guess? Uh, I'm going to guess $120 million. 125 mil. Shit, I was so close. It, you were. That was a great guess. And it was built as a blockbuster. So they were using Fassbender's name as a way to promote people to get there. So, okay. Unfortunately for him, it didn't work out. And that's probably why no one knows his name now. <laughs> but, like, he had that He had that going for him. So that's why I, that, I'm telling I've, I've I had to look up Assassin's Creed to see how much it was made for to see if I could put him on this fucking thing. Because I would have had him on there. The other two I could have maybe argued like against, like the award nominations or the X Men movies, but you make a good case with Assassin's Creed. Well, it's Assassin's Creed and two nominations. Like one's all right. Two people are recognizing that you're doing a really good. good it's like, work. hey, look at this guy. Yeah, he's getting up there. Oh, a little fast bendy boy. Well, I do have a backup. Okay, and my backup is David Dash Malian. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that oh, right. Oh yeah, he was in, he was just in uh, Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's in Oppenheimer. He's in a lot of Denis Villeneuve movies. Yeah. Very minor characters that he plays, but he's fucking memorable just because of how he looks and how he acts. Yes, like yes. Prisoners. Yes, he's one of the most memorable parts of Prisoners. Yeah, he's for all me. he's in it for all five minutes. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he leaves such an impact. Just he's so fucking creepy, and I just love the characters that he plays. He was yeah. He's Blade like, Runner 2049. Yes. Dune, he's in Dune. That's uh, Dune's the first one I went to when he said that because I, I don't. But I, I, he played like one of the weird uh, he secretary was, guys. He was basically uh, 
Baron Harkonnen's right hand man. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, he was he was polka dot guy and um uh the, the new suicide, suicide squad. I still yeah. need to see that. Oh, I really? heard I heard he's really good in it. He's fun. Yeah, he's a, it's a good that's a good poll. Well, thank you. I, I had a good backup. I yeah. like to think. And I, I listen. I hate to do it with. He's absolutely guy that should be a dude. But yeah. I, I, I. He should be right. Honorable I, mention. We have to have principles in this thing, and I think it's one of those things. Where I, and I, I'm not trying to go back because, like, I, it's like almost the opposite with Kurt Russell. But you know. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. So you're number face. two, Frank. He was Frank. The titular Frank. He was, yeah. Um, my number two. Uh, my number two is Bill Paxton. I understand that. I'm not going to contest it. No. And I'm I, not, I can't contest it. He's never gotten nominated. I mean, the closest you could say to a blockbuster, from my understanding, he was, he was in Titanic, but mm-hmm. he wasn't a main character in Titanic, so you can't fault him on that. And one of the bigger films that he's probably been a lead actor in was Twister, but I don't think that was billed as a blockbuster. No. You know, like it's hard to kind of say Weather Guy chasing tornadoes is like the sweeping. The last big, big movie I remember him being in is Edge of Tomorrow. Yep. And once again, I mean, third, fourth build. And he played the same, you know. Mm -hmm. But anytime Paxton, he was a Nightcrawler, dude. He was so fucking good at Nightcrawler. He's very good at Nightcrawler. Yeah. Like, he's good. Speaking of Riz Ahmed. Yeah, right? (laughs) Like, he was in uh, uh, True Lies. He plays the sleazy car salesman in True Lies. Like, he's kind of a guy. He's got, I don't want to say limited range. He's got range. It's just not in in big time sweeping dramas, Mm -hmm. you know? So, anyways, my number two is um, Bill Paxton. Okay. Rest in peace. Yes. All right. I'm going to list my number one. And this is for sure out of everyone on this list, my number one. And I feel like I'm going to have to prepare myself to defend it because you might be raising some eyebrows when I say his name. All right. Mods Mickelson. No, that's yeah. I'm he. I had him on there. Let me let me make a case. No, no, I'm not. I'm not contesting it. Oh, you're not. No, I'm saying he's fine. I don't think I couldn't. Oh, you're saying no, as in you're not going to contest no, it. No, hell no, dude. Yeah, Mods yes. Mickelson. Who the fuck are you going to walk up to and say that to him? And be like, oh yeah, the hunt. Like she can't do that. <laughs> well, that was where my argument was going to be. Is that even though he's in a lot of blockbuster movies in the U.S. and he plays a lot of prominent characters in those movies, he's typecast to fuck as villain characters. He does a great job. He does a great job. But you don't really get to see the range that he can give to a movie when he plays different types of characters. Right. You get to see that range in Dutch movies that he's in. So, like, another round, he's fucking fantastic. The Hunt, he's fucking amazing. The second Pusher movie in the Pusher trilogy, he's the best part out of that whole entire thing. Like, trilogy included. Like, he just stands out far and above all that stuff that he's in when it comes to his Dutch foreign films yeah and obviously he gives a good performance when he's over here uh playing those villain characters and we like seeing him play those villain characters but at the same time it's like i really want to see him play something else well good news buddy there's a whole plethora of dutch movies out there that are just (laughs) waiting for you to fucking watch them (laughs) get them yeah yeah so that would have been my argument had you no, it, I but. almost I, I was gonna throw him on there and I was like I, there's just 
the Plus, I don't. I, I don't think he's nominated for no a lot of awards really. No, I don't think. He, I mean, the hunt's probably the that's a foreign film, so it didn't get Oscar recognition. I'm just thinking of American movies too, because he's not in a whole lot of like movies that get awards either no. over here. He's just he's a solid dude, and I don't think anyone would recognize him. Oh, we didn't even mention fucking um uh the. The movie with the motorcycle. That's what I'm trying to. Writers. It's the writer. It's the Freedom Riders or Riders of Justice. Riders of Justice. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was sitting there. I wasn't gonna say anything because I couldn't think of the title. I could just see his face on there. He's got the beard. He's, he's got just, the beard and shaved head. Yeah, he's just standing there. Yeah, Riders. He's just standing there menacingly. <laughs> yeah, I loved him in that. I no, he. I almost threw him on my list because when we were talking about Riders of Justice, or I think we might have been talking about another round. Um. I said, it, I was like, that's a guy that's a dude. Mm-hmm. Like he would be, you know, and and well deserved. I don't, I don't know, I don't know who I'd like to see more between him and Jesse Plemons on this. Probably him on the screen over Jesse Plemons, but like, you know, I, I, yeah, the filmography speaks for itself, and you have to be able to like see some of those. And I think the foreign aspect kind of threw me. Like I don't know because I, I keep wanting to watch another round, and I still haven't pulled the trigger. I think if you were to ask the average person in the u.s who mads mickelson is i think the most likely thing that they would point to by remembering him is the hannibal show that he was oh, on. oh yeah i was gonna actually go with casino royale because this is a that too f- film yeah you know podcast not a tv podcast <laughs> um <laughs> but yes that is a good answer also is a casino royale i i forgot he was in that He's in so many movies where he's the villain that they just kind of blur together. Yeah, and um, it's not his fault. He, he 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 gets his projects that he likes to do as long as and he gets to make money on doing the American stuff where he just mm-hmm. plays weird French villain or Dutch villain. Yeah, yeah. Charlie Countryman, he plays the villain in that, but he's fucking great. With Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, I haven't seen it. That might be a future recommendation, and that's one that Gideon really loves. That every time I watch it, I'm like, eh, I don't know about it, but really it. I think would make for a good discussion eventually. Okay. Maybe we can have him back on for it. Yeah. Uh, so, choking uh, up because here's, I'm going to get emotional over your number one. It's got to be, right? Oh, boy. Oh, I feel like it should be obvious, but I can't I can't think of it right now. I don't know why. Well. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I know. Patrick Wilson? No. Oh, he was close. I told you he was close on the list, but I went through his filmography. I was like, "There's no way I'm watching fucking the Fourth Conjuring." Like, <laughs> I like him, but like it gets saturated quickly or diluted, however you want to view it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, uh, this one is the most controversial pick I have. Uh, I've been teetering back and forth on is it acceptable or not. He falls to me in the same lines as Fassbender does. Mm. He only has one Oscar nomination. Oh shit! Nope, I'm taking him off. I'm taking him off. I got to do it. Well, you got to tell me who it was. Tom Hardy. You can't. Oh, yeah. He's. Mm, Okay. He's got. That's a stretch, my guy. He's got. He's got. So Venom, right? I'm like, all right, whatever. But then I looked up what it cost to make Mad Max. I forgot. Because I I, I said, if it's under $100 I'm not going to consider it a blockbuster, even though that's a lot of fucking money to fork out. But Mm. like under $100 is like, all right, you're, you're. The intent isn't to get this thing off where everyone has nothing to do to go see it, mm. right? 
Mad Max Fury Road costs 150. So mm, yeah, big budget. I was trying to. One. I was like getting ready for the argument in my head, and I remember I looked that one up because I ruled out Fosbender. See, now you know what I stand. I fucking have principles. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm taking them out. I'm taking them out. So yep. shift everyone up. My number five is going to be a gentleman that I, I really like, and anytime he's in a film, I it's like one of those things where I feel generally happy I get to see him on screen. Billy Crudup. He is in Big Fish. He is in Almost Famous. He is in Too Big to Fail. He's he is in, in Almost Spotlight. Famous. He's in Sleepers. And he has my favorite part in uh, The Neighborhood Watch with Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn. Um, the dude. Oh, yeah. I recognize this guy. There it is. We just did it. We just did it. We fulfilled the circle. fucking came full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that worked perfectly. <laughs> wow, yeah, and I didn't want to do it because I'm like, his whole filmography is a little, it's it's here and there. I believe he also played um, uh, Steve Prefontaine, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, Steve Prefontaine was a very uh, I don't, motivational runner. He ran for Oregon. He had a couple good quotes. I, I think he stirred the nation a little bit. But anyways, mm. I, I, I was like, you know what? There's more movies that I like of him in it, and he's never in it that long, besides like Big Fish, but he's never been in a big blockbuster. He was in Almost Famous. You know, he, he's always played a very, uh, he's got a he's got a great smile, and he's always charming. He's a very you, cute smile. You know, yeah. And like, I've always enjoyed him being on screen, and, and what really sold me was he was in, so he, he was in like two big, he was in Spotlight, he play, have you ever seen Spotlight? I haven't seen that yet. He plays he plays a lawyer and he's very you know kind of like uh, straight edge you know uh, hiding some stuff and then he plays in Almost Famous where he's a rock and roll guy. He plays in mm-hmm. Sleepers, which is very dark story that I don't need to get into, but he plays a greaseball in that. Um, but the Neighborhood Watch, he has one of the funniest scenes I've ever I I. Never would have saw it coming in a million years, I think. You know, should say it like that, but like it, it really tickled me and made me laugh. And the fact that he plays like the the color guy, you know, in it, and it's very funny. I was like, this dude's got range, mm-hmm. and to be that subtle and have that much comedic chops about it, like I lo- So, anyways, Philly Crudup is he? I'll I'll say he's my number five, it. but yeah, I accept that absolutely. That is a good list. I think we got some good lists. For yeah. us. So did you have any more honorable mentions? Yeah, so let me let me read them out real quick. Okay. Um so Tom Hardy's off the list. I'm just taking him off. Yeah. No, everyone forget it it pains me. Uh, Unfortunately. Fa- Fossbender's on there. Patrick Wilson. Yep. William Fickner. Who is that? He plays um I'm trying to think of a movie that you would have saw him in. Kyle, I don't know what movies you've seen. <laughs> Black Hawk Down. No. Um, the Perfect Storm. No. Batman. Which one? The Dark Knight. Yeah. He's in the very beginning of The Dark Knight. He's the mob boss. Oh, is he the guy at the bank? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I know yes. who you're talking now, about now. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. That is a very, that's an underground pick right there. Fickner's got he. There's more movies that I've seen with him in. He was in Heat. He's in like a lot of '90s things. There was something that. So we were talking. He about usually bo- play. Yeah, he usually plays like agents or cops or like some yeah criminal that, stuff. Very like sophisticated like businessman. 
Yeah. You know, he's yeah. always in a suit. Yeah. It's funny because he's actually in the perfect storm, and that's the first time I ever saw him. So I always thought he was this like really dirty guy. Mm-hmm. And then in everything else, he's just in a suit. And then I realized, like, oh, maybe he was trying to like break character or typecast so that way he could get more roles. Mm-hmm. Um, Carl Urban. Oh, yeah. Carl I, Urban. And it's really just because of the boys. Yeah. Um, but he's also in Dread, which is really good. Uh, I really like Dread. He was Dread. in Thor Ragnarok. With, he had a small part in that. So, mm-hmm. um, But I'm like not enough of a filmographer for me to be like, I got to go see more Carl he's Urban in, films. Uh, he's in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he, he more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Brian Cranston. That one I would have contested the fuck out of. I And I, I said off because of Breaking Bad, which doesn't fit him. But then I was like, oh... There he was in Trumbo, which I think he got nominated for. He was also in The Infiltrator. They were big time films that they were using his name to sell the film, mm. and they were going off of the Breaking Bad stuff. And yep. I was like, I'm not, you know, you could have said Godzilla, Godzilla, that, no, it would have been like third build, and that though. actually might have been first build. He was like second build, yeah. And then of course, did the, the yeah, 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 it was a crazy thing, crazy. Um, <laughs> last one. Keanu Reeves. I had him on my list. And then based on how this was going, I took him off. Yeah. Because smart. I, I figured you would have contested the shit out he, of that. Dude, he would have been so good. I think what I think mm, shit. There's the fucking Matrix and those made a shit ton of money and no, huge no, no. But see, I want those weren't billed as blockbusters though. Like a film can come out. And do really well, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't have to be a blockbuster. I mean, like it, it, if it comes out and it was made for forty million, it makes a hundred and twenty-eight million. Like great. Like I don't care about that. If if it costs a hundred and twenty million and he's in it leading it, I'm like, all right. They put a lot of time and effort in marketing into this thing, like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But what for me it was was one. His name. I think a lot of people He's know Keanu. very recognizable. And the John Wick movies. Like, I was going to say, probably like you could get away with it a little more if we were talking pre-John Wick Keanu Reeves, but... Even after the first John Wick, I think it would have been all right. Yeah, but like just that franchise as a whole really helped his career out. Yes. Like Because now you get John Wick, it's a kind of a cult classic, the first one, and then the rest of them are hyper successful. Yes. And then all of a sudden you see Keanu's name name in so many things like fucking Cyberpunk 2077. Yes. Uh, fucking uh, other yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Yes. 100%. Keep going. Uh, no, but like, you know, obviously like the new Matrix movie, which whatever your opinion of that is, people were looking forward to it. Um, obviously a big recognizable IP there. And, uh, yeah, just a bunch of other things. Like, he made a bunch of cameos. He was in that uh, Always Be My Maybe movie where he played himself. And oh, I yeah. think mo- a lot of people watched that movie just because he was in it for, like, 15 minutes. That's the one I was telling you to watch. You I think that? so, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw it, and I was like, there's a very good Keanu scene in there. I liked it. I thought he was great in it. Yeah, you were telling me, like, hey, there's a cameo in this movie that I think you'll enjoy. Yeah. Which I thought was very funny. Um, was that your last one? Your honorable mention? Yeah. Do you have any honorable mentions? Not ones written down, but ones that I've thought of as we've been talking. Yeah. So, Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon, that's a name that I yeah. think he's a great actor, but he doesn't he doesn't get recognized a whole lot. House That Jack Built is probably the most prominent thing I can think of. Um, With Matt Dillon? Yeah. 
No, uh, something about Mary. He was in the '90s. Outsiders. Oh, really? Like, yeah, he's got. There's oh, some other, yeah. He's got some other. It's not a bad call though. I mm. that would fit in with the Paxson and the Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that name teeters on people knowing, not knowing. And I think if you named like a movie, they would be like, oh yeah, not like looking it up, but you know, mm-hmm. yeah, would have. I think that would have fit in. I don't think he's ever led a blockbuster. He's also think so. he was in. Um, oh, anyways. Yeah. Uh, I had one more, but I forgot what it was because oh, okay. my memory is failing me. Yeah. Uh, if I remember it, either before we end this one or on the next episode, I will bring it back up. Yes. But before we go. Shit, am I fucking picking a movie right you now? You are. God damn it, Kyle. Haha. Uh, this is going to be a beefy episode. Yes. Where we're nearing the, the three hour mark. Oh, shit. I know. I know it's gonna be juicy. It's a it's a Barbenheimer episode. Of course, it yeah. was gonna be huge. I'm not surprised at all. So I, I I'm come. Oh, I'm gonna do it. I'm just doing it. We're doing it. Oh, uh, uh, uh. God damn it! It's so dark. I'm cool with dark. You know me. All right, all right. I'm a little dark boy. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have people open up their eyes a little bit. It's not it's not necessarily dark in the artsy sense of dark. Oh, nothing weird, just artsy stuff. <laughs> um, we're going to see, I, I just because I want to watch it again, and I remember it being like a little kind of like, hey, you know, uh, somewhat like Bone Tomahawk, maybe it's not as bad. There isn't probably a scene in there that is that memorable. Um, but Cold in July. Cold in July. I don't know if I recognize that. Let it's me... got, um, great, name off all the characters that are in it. Um <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember. It's it's Dexter's in it. I can't remember his name. Sam Shepard, and then Miami Vice. Oh, and it's oh, got Don Johnson. Don Johnson. Sam Shepard. Yes. Michael C. Hall. Michael C. Hall. God damn it. Wyatt Russell. Oh, it's got a uh, Kurt Russell's son in it. Okay. This movie keeps it's pop. It's popped up, and I've I've Put seen it. it. Oh, I guess it's already on my watch list. That's interesting. Oh, is it? Oh, I've mentioned it before, so maybe it got on there from me. Maybe it got on. There I from probably got like on there from you. Yeah, I think it was from you. <laughs> but it keeps popping up, and it is. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested for a revisit because I have this uh, on a uh, within a certain parameter of my list rankings, and I want to see if it's well warranted or not. Cool, awesome. I'm yes. looking forward to that one, and then we can discuss. Uh, probably newer movie yeah to just check out sure uh pair it with uh awesome well if you guys don't want to be spoiled for cold in july be sure to check that movie out before episode 52 yes thank you guys for listening to this episode of the neon crew podcast you can find us on youtube spotify and apple podcasts you can also find us on our website www.neoncrewpodcast.com be sure to get some merch from our etsy page i will link a uh, a link in the description uh I, i can't even get the sentence out but you know what i'm trying to get across speaking's hard today yeah no you're tired man. we've done a lot of it this is a nearly three hour long episode this is like one of the more organic juicy episodes we've had in a while it it, it really is i think the guys who are dudes list helped a lot with that yes especially towards the end i would agree with that um be sure to subscribe to the youtube channel if you haven't already uh and i just want to let you know one more step towards hopeful monetization of it if we can get some more watch hours on it i'll have reached one of the criterias for monetizing the channel hopefully eventually in the future so we'll see how that goes but just spreading the name 
check out the content I've been putting out. Uh, the film watches uh, bi-weekly for now, but once it reaches current time, it will be on a monthly basis. And uh, give us some good ratings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify if you can. That would be awesome. That would make my tummy tickle. And Mac, what do we say? WWTHD. Bye, everyone. <laughs>